Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, January 26th, 2024. I'm here, as per usual, with Luke, right by my side, ready to roll. It is championship weekend. It is officially upon us. Come Sunday, the biggest sporting event in the country will be set. One of the biggest in the world, honestly. The Super Bowl will be set after the end of this weekend. And we're officially less than a month from the beginning of spring training in the MLB. The first game will be February 22nd. Pitchers and catchers report as soon as February 9th, just two weeks away. Um, you know, we're fully past the halfway mark of the Premier League season. The January transfer window closes like a week from right now as we're recording. Um, honestly, the to me, the prime of sports is quickly slipping away from us. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and pose the question to you. What do you think is your, like, what's the window for the prime of sports for you? Oh, man. <clears throat> so, like, I, I guess when I enjoyed watching sports the most would have been 2013 to, like, 2017, 18 would Fair be, enough. like, my prime of sports. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm still kind of in mine. Like, I, I just watch a shitload of sports. Um. Yeah. But also like what what season? Like like I there's this 4 month stretch that I think is the best part of like sports. Every single year it's always the best. And it's like you get into like October. It's kind of like from October yeah. to like right at the beginning of February. And and we're right mm-hmm. we're coming right up on the end of that because October means playoff baseball. The NFL is like fully in swing. Same for college football. You know, in college football, you're getting close to, like, the college football playoff rankings starting up. Uh, If you watch basketball, that season gets started. Hockey gets started at that time. But also, European soccer gets started around then. You have the Champions League. I I think it's definitely, like, the best stretch for everybody when it comes to sports. Like, if you watch football, if you watch baseball, if you watch hockey, NBA, soccer, like, all of it is going on in that in that time frame, and we are coming to the end of it. So, were you asking me what I thought the prime? I definitely like, months were sports. <laughs> okay, my. But bad. I was just going to uh, let you slide. Yeah. Uh, I I just meant like sports in general, but no, I I completely agree with you. When when the leaves start changing and that air gets a little bit colder, that's that's really when it's time to dial in. Yeah, because <laughs> like when you get into like December and January, like. That's time you hunker down in the house and you watch some sports. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, I mean, it's perfect. You're, you you, kind of got like the, the sweater, but the still like you can get away with wearing shorts weather. Perfect time yeah, of year. That's what I was hitting perfect today because it's like, it's actually kind of warm today because it's just been pouring rain. Um, yep. You know, back over in this area, it's 68 degrees right now. Crazy. I swam to class today. Oh, too, yeah. This same. morning it was ridiculous. Say my uh, my shoes were full of water. Does does Kennesaw flood like Athens does? Like our campus Not just floods bad. and pulls water so bad, it's horrible. Yeah. The, so the biggest problem with Kennesaw is the parking decks get flooded. So okay. Um, all of the water, like not only does it just kind of you know fill up in like where the cars are, but the worst part is that all of it goes into the stairwell. Mm. And so, and it's just like, you know, cement stairs or whatever. So every single stair is just a puddle 
and then there's just a big puddle at the bottom of every flight of stairs. And so yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm, I was walking so carefully. <laughs> it, it was horrible. Um, but like, you weren't you know, trying to everything else, morning? everything else kind of drains well. Yeah, that's fair. No, it's, it's everywhere. We definitely have that problem in the parking decks, but it's like, you know, you can be walking to class and boom, you're, you're swimming to the surface. Yeah. There was a couple later. times I mean, where crazy. like, like I'm wearing some ultra boost right now. Like the bottom of the shoe was it like fully oh. submerged. That's you're getting close there. I was yeah. in my duck boots today. Fair enough. That was probably smart. Yeah. I probably should have worn the, the, uh, the Gore-Tex Pegasus trails, uh, if I was going to be a smart man, but I wasn't little little plug there <laughs> yeah um, yeah no free shout out to nike <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um uh, other news before we get into everything the chargers have hired jim harbaugh as their head coach what a move big move um i i love that for them i i think uh you, you know that thing with the chargers that we talk about where they're just they've kind of been the same team for forever right. really good but never don't have anything to show for it yeah a hard hardball coming there is really you could see it change. I, I really, really believe Definitely. that. Definitely. I think they have the talent there. Like they already have it there. He just like they need a figurehead. They need somebody at the head of it. And I think Jim Harbaugh is the guy for that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you know, as soon as Herbert starts getting more mature, which I, I feel like he already is a pretty mature guy, yeah, it, it's only gonna get better for them. Only yeah. going to get better. I agree, and I think you know this off is going to be pretty big for them. I think Eckler's probably out the door. They're going to be exploring new options at running back, most likely. Um, you know, I heard Michigan, of... Michigan kid, might be going to the Chargers in the Ooh. draft. Blake Corum. The uh, yeah, maybe. I don't. Uh, I'm not totally sold heard on that them for the NFL. Right. Um, we'll talk about that when we talk about the draft, though, because. We'll have plenty of time for draft coverage um, just in a couple of weeks. We'll probably start that up. But, uh, oh man, nonetheless, <laughs> why don't we go ahead and get into NFL Conference Championship Weekend? This is, uh, it, it's like, uh, like it's, it's sweet and sour, you know? Like, it's nice that we're almost to the Super Bowl, but it also kind of sucks that it's almost over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And none of our teams are in it. <laughs> yeah, that part does also suck. <laughs> yeah, and if and if you're a Steelers fan, you have Taylor Swift versus the Baltimore Ravens. And yeah. and I mean for, for Steelers fans it's really simple. I, I've heard some Steelers fans that actually kinda want the Ravens to win, which I get in a way I get it. The Chiefs did knock us out of the playoffs um, you know, a couple of years ago. They were they were Ben's last game. On top of that, Taylor Swift. But if you're a Steelers fan, it's you definitely root for the Chiefs here. I, I our conviction is to hate Baltimore. And on the other side, it's really easy because if the if the Forty ers win a Super Bowl, they'll tie us and wins. Yeah. So it, it's Lions all the way for Steelers fans. Fair enough. I I think uh, let's just go ahead and kind of break down Chiefs Ravens right now. Baltimore a four point favorite. Um, the over under forty four and a half. I'm still not sold on Kansas City's offense. If anything from last week showed, like Kansas City still doesn't have breakout potential. Like, it doesn't seem like this offense can just have a ridiculous performance right now. And also, 
Buffalo lost that game. Buffalo had so many chances to win that game, and they simply didn't. But the Chiefs didn't, like, outplay them, I don't think. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know. I, I think um, I, I picked the Bills over the uh, over the Chiefs in this game. Obviously, that didn't happen. And I, I think I've kind of learned from that, Grayson. And what, I, what I've learned from that is there is just something about the Chiefs and this era of, of our lives and of the NFL. They're, they're going to hang in there. The, the Ravens would will never be able to blow out the Chiefs because the Chiefs just have that edge to them to just stay in games. I, regardless of, you know, if you think Buffalo kind of lost the game, the Chiefs were still in it. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, Baltimore's going in here with a way better regular season than the Chiefs. You and I all season long poked holes through them, all the regular season, and even some in the playoffs. In all reality, Grayson, this Chiefs team can beat anybody in the league on any given day. And, and Baltimore is definitely not going to be able to blow them out. And I think this Chiefs offense has potential to stay in this game. Yeah, my thing is that when you look at the body of work, uh, the Ravens, I know they've only played one game thus far in the playoffs. They beat the shit out of a Texans team that we were very hopeful for. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were. And, you know, when you look at just kind of what we have, you know, we haven't seen these two teams um, match up. Like, when you look at the Chiefs, you know, resume per se, uh, you have a, a weird win over the Ra- or, or sorry over the Dolphins, um, in that wild card game. The weather, it's kind of crazy circumstances. Uh, you go into more neutral circumstances, but on the road versus the Bills in a narrow victory. Like I said, it wasn't perfect by any means. Um, and you have like a really shoddy end to the season, um, that just didn't look right for this Chiefs team. And um, I, I think it's hard for me to pick against the Ravens just because I've watched them do it to multiple other teams that were like, I don't know, like they could win, and then the Ravens just beat the shit out of them. Yeah. It's just what they've been doing all year, and the Chiefs simply <laughs> haven't. I understand that the Chiefs pretty good on the road. Um Overall, they're just a good team, and they're well-coached. They're well-managed, um, you know, especially on the offensive side. Patrick Mahomes doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but this Ravens defense is extremely good up front. They're going to pressure Patrick Mahomes, and I think a lot of people kind of overlook the fact that it's not that hard to make Patrick Mahomes do dumb shit. The thing is that a lot of times he can pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> like the Ravens need to yeah. put pressure on him, but kind of in a more coordinated way. Like forcing him to throw isn't always going to work because he's yeah. just going to throw to Travis Kelsey or Rashi Rice, and they're going to do something about it. Like you really need to go into this game like understanding, okay, this is the matchup. This is who's on this side of the field. This is who's on the other side. Like we need to be putting pressure on this end to force him to throw to that side because, you know, uh, Justin Watson's lined up on that side. Like, somebody is over there, and you want him to throw to them and not Travis Kelsey. The Ravens need to go into this much more coordinated than just pressure Patrick Mahomes and try and make him make mistakes because a lot of times his mistakes turn into highlights. Yeah, and I I think a way that you could, you know, affect Patrick Mahomes indirectly is – 
I mean, Pacheco, they've said it all year long. He's probably the angriest runner in the entire NFL right now. Yeah. Who knows what the Chiefs are going to look like when they stop him? And I, I think their pass rush is regardless. There, there will be pressure on Patrick Mahomes. You can't not stop this Ravens team from having a good pass rush. Um, I just think what, what it's going to come down to is, and it's weird saying this as someone that's, I, I guess, like reporting on the game, but the Chiefs just have that stat that isn't a number. They, they have that edge in the NFL and over good teams. And I, I think the Chiefs are going to beat Baltimore, but I don't want to give a score prediction yet because I wanted to talk about Baltimore a little bit. I, In all seriousness, I think this game could go either way. Baltimore is the best team in the NFL. They're much better than the 49ers, I think. Um, But I, when it comes down to it, I, I, I really just think the Chiefs are going to keep it close. I, I could see maybe... If Baltimore can force some turnovers, maybe a, a forced fumble from Roquan, he's been amazing. Um, or maybe an interception. Who knows? A after a Chiefs turnover, what they'll look like. But yeah. um, I'm going to go ahead and give a score prediction now. I'm going to take the Chiefs 28-27. to 27. Okay. Uh, I'm going to yep. take the Ravens 28-24. to 24. So it, right. it, it just kind of comes down to the fact that I think the Ravens offense can produce more points right now than the Chiefs. You know, both defenses are good. The Chiefs have their advantages to their defense. The Ravens certainly have a ton of advantages to their uh, defense. But both of those offenses can overpower a good defense. We saw the Ravens do it against the 49ers in the regular season. Both of these teams are capable of it, and um, I just trust the Ravens to put the points up on the board more. I trust them to do it efficiently and um, kind of in like a almost like flashy but fundamental way. The Ravens just score points. Like you have Lamar Jackson yeah. running around the field doing whatever he needs, but you also have moments where you just give the ball to Gus Edwards and he just does dirty work. Like yeah. they play this very mixed style of offense and in a huge testament to Todd Munkin, who's done a fantastic job as their OC. They play a fantastic offense that is extremely hard to just anticipate. Yeah. I I mean I like that what you brought up about Baltimore's run game too, because uh, last week, if you look at it, they they ran the ball 42 times, and if you take out Lamar, they ran it 31. That's still a lot yeah. of carries. Um, with, with Dalvin Cook being the least amount of carries, and he has eight, that's that's insane. Like you can definitely tell that they have a game plan there. Um, but I mean, you know, who knows? I, I didn't really talk about this, and I know we already gave our score predictions, but the the Chiefs have a serious defensive line too, uh, one that can definitely definitely contain Lamar probably better than uh, some other teams have in the NFL. Um, but, you know, then again, we've seen Lamar kind of flourish into this, like, also just super quarterback, like 16 for 22 completed passes to, like, eight different people last week. He He's amazing. I, I we're, we're seeing a different, you know, a different kind of like throwing from Lamar and it's yeah. I think it's a big reason why the Ravens are 13 and 4. Yeah, like we kind of talked about it, you know, going into like the later end like right into the end of the season that like Lamar Jackson kind of cut back the running 
about halfway through the season and was just passing the ball, and they were still winning games. They were still putting up points. Yep. He was having the performances that are going to lead to him eventually winning the MVP in about two weeks. Like, he made the correct adjustments to, first of all, not get hurt. Second of all, conserve his body for the playoffs. And third, he looked fucking good. And it proved a lot of people wrong. All these people that mm-hmm. the entire time he's been the starter in Baltimore, even going into the draft, the whole conversation was like, well, this guy's not a quarterback. He's a running back. Yeah, like, he just He just runs the ball. He's proving everybody wrong. And he's doing it in such a absurd fashion because, like, Justin Fields, once you know a season proves us wrong and throws for three hundred yards, Lamar Jackson is about to win an MVP to prove people wrong, a second one yeah. at that. It's it's um it's definitely been fun. To this watch. one's a lot better than the first one. Yes, I mean I don't know about you, but it, like. Yeah, you, you look at his stats. He went 16 for 22, 152, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's still a pretty good game. It's a small game yardage-wise, and he didn't throw that much. But when you look at 11 carries, 100 yards, and two touchdowns, he had 250 yards by himself and four touchdowns. Yeah. I, I'll take that any damn day. That yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. No, it definitely is. And yeah. Undisputed, the best quarterback in the league. Like this season or just? This season. Okay, okay. I would say. Yep, I can agree yeah. with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, next game, 6.30 on Fox. Lions 49ers for the NFC Championship at Levi's Stadium. 49ers, a seven-point favorite. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I could say I'm surprised by seven points. I'm not either. I think the 49ers um, are a touchdown better than the Lions. The, probably. Yeah. Well, probably. other things going into this game, uh, your honorary captains, two fantastic choices. It literally cannot be better than these. Uh, the Lions, <laughs> their honorary captain, Barry Sanders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the 49ers, <laughs> Joe Montana. Wow. <laughs> you can't beat that. <laughs> No, <laughs> I mean that's like that's what like they're they're two best players in their franchise history. Definitely, Would I guess you, Jerry, Jerry Rice. Rice or Joe Montana. Yeah, I, I I'd, I'd probably go Jerry Rice. I probably would go Jerry Rice too, but <laughs> but still, yeah. If there's Joe a number Montana's two, it's Joe. Bad. Yeah, best quarterback for sure. Yeah, him and then Colin Kaepernick, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, technically, theoretically, not Steve Young. Be. Yeah, no, definitely not Colin Steve Kaepernick. Young. Fucking lefty. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick might be a lefty. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. I don't think he is. Um. Uh. So you look at the quarterback matchup. I think that's the big story in this game. Who's gonna play the best at quarterback? Well, both of them were top five in passing yards and touchdowns in 2023. Jared Goff, 4,575 passing yards. That was second in the league, and he had 30 passing touchdowns, which was fourth. Purdy had 4,280 passing yards. That's fifth in the league. And he had 31 passing touchdowns, which was third. I I think when it comes down to it, I've seen Jared Goff have bad decision-making games more than Brock Purdy. 
and that's all that I can stand on at the moment. Like, Jared Goff, I, I will give him this. He's been here before, which I guess technically Brock Purdy was here last year. Weird circumstances considering his injury in the game and all that. But, like, Jared Goff has taken a team to a Super Bowl before, and now he's doing it again with a fantastic group that is, you know, so well coached and just everything else that is so amazing about this run that the Detroit Lions have been on this season. But you look at the other side and it's like, okay, well, the 49ers have the exact same thing. They have a good quarterback that's a fantastic leader. They have this, you know, great coaching staff and culture around this team and everything else involved. And they also have the best players in the NFL at multiple positions. Yeah. I, pretty much. <laughs> that's like, that's the big thing to me is like, yeah, the lions are fantastic. They have a great running game. The 49ers literally have an MVP candidate, a running back uh, and probably the offensive player of the year. Look at wide receiver. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown, probably the third best wide receiver in the NFL this year. He was the number, wide receiver number three on the all-pro first team. Brandon Ayuk and Devo Samuel are unbelievable. Brandon Ayuk had 1,342 yards this season, and the ball also went to George Kittle and Devo and, and you know everybody else plenty. <laughs> like, yeah. like, Brandon Ayuk had about 150 less receiving yards than Amon Ross St. Brown. And he had like 40 less receptions. That's, that's pretty great uh, for Ayuk. And like, just like going down the list. Yeah. You can just keep comparing players on paper. What it comes down to is how these teams play on the field every single week as a team. And I simply just think the 49ers are better. Yeah, I, I would unfortunately have to go there too, although I want the Lions to win. Um, I, I think a, a case scenario where the Lions win is when Jared Goff doesn't throw the ball 43 times like yeah. he did last week against the Buccaneers. Um, yeah, Jameer Gibbs, he, he had a lot of yards for nine carries, 74 and a touchdown, but his longest was 31. If you take away that run, they were, I would say, kept mostly ineffective in that game. And I think a chance where they win is one of those games where the Lions are firing at all cylinders and David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are just killing. And then you have Amon Ross St. Brown just running the play-action game with Jared Goff. You also need Jared Goff to not throw an interception. If he throws one pick, they lost the game, probably. Yeah. I, I think it's that close. And, you know, Jared Goff and Brock Purdy, I would say, are similar. Maybe Jared Goff has more of like a kind of like he did last week, like a high yardage, high amount of throws. Brock Purdy doesn't do that that often. He's usually yeah. low amount of throws, low amount of completions, but still a decent amount of touchdowns. So I, I think if he's more likely to throw a pick than Purdy, Goff is. And if that happens, they're going to get themselves in trouble. But if Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are, you know, if they're going, the Lions have a chance. But overall, I'm with you. The 49ers have a much better team. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, I, I really like what you said about how Jared Goff if he throws the ball too much, they're probably not going to play well just because he is prone to turning the ball over. It just That's what happens yeah. when he throws too many passes in a game, and that's going to happen to most quarterbacks if you're throwing that like high volume uh, of a game. But for Brock Purdy's side, it's like 
he can rely on Christian McCaffrey to get them first downs, which not a lot of quarterbacks can. Like, not a lot of quarterbacks can rely on one player kind of just getting, you know, two plays for a first down just about every time. And Brock Purdy yeah. has that luxury, and he uses it well, and that's why he only has to throw, you know, max 35 passes in a game, and he barely ever touches that. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you could really say that the that the Lions have dealt with the team in the regular season or even in the playoffs that have this, this much power offensively yeah. uh, with – Brock Purdy at quarterback, yeah, he's he's not flashy, but he's still a superstar. He plays so well. You have McCaffrey, like you said, he's a dog. Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, and Debo Sam- or Debo Samuel in the receiving game. I added McCaffrey back to it. It's it's going to be hard. I don't know if the Lions really really have it all defensively to be able to stop even half of those guys because it, yeah. it's just hard. That's no disrespect to the Lions. I mean, the, I guess you could send out Kirby Joseph to, you know, go for more knees or whatever because he's a pretty dirty player. You could try to get <laughs> someone hurt. But that's that's really, like, that's the only thing you can do to this offense. And it's going to be really, really tough for the Lions. Really, really tough. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, like, if we look back at, you know, who they've played this season and who they struggled against, like, yes, they beat the Chiefs week one. I think this is a very different team. After those first two weeks of the season, they got the win over the Chiefs. It was a close one. And then you lose to the Seahawks. I think it was an overtime. That was a weird game. After that, they get rolling, and they they hit the wall that is the Ravens. And they lost 38-6. to And Jared Goff had an atrocious game. And he threw 53 passes in that game for no touchdowns. Yeah. Like, those are the kind of games that you want to avoid if you're the Lions and especially if you're Jared Goff. But even looking at teams that aren't nearly as good as the 49ers, that 28-13 to loss to the Bears was embarrassing for Jared Goff. He had two interceptions yeah. in that game, and he lost a fumble, and he only threw 35 passes in that one. I think it's just a matter of, the Lions' defense cannot let the 49ers stay on the field because the 49ers do so well at controlling the possession that when the Lions finally get on the field, I think they're, it's gonna, you're going to feel the need to rush Jared Goff and you're going to feel the need to rush this offense into scoring points that they probably shouldn't be rushed into. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then again, I do want to bring up the... Uh, the divisional uh, NFC divisional game, the 49ers and the Packers this year. That I mean, Jordan Love turned the ball over twice, and I I know it was one that you know ended up sealing the game. It was you know at the end, but the Packers kept it a, probably a lot closer than they should have. Especially you look at Aaron Jones, 108 yards, but his longest was 53 on 18 yeah. carries. So. Maybe if the 49ers kind of play like that, the Lions will have a better chance. I don't know about you, but I feel like the Lions would capitalize over a 49ers team from the divisional round more than the Packers could. Like the Lions are more capable of that. So I don't know. Who knows? The the 49ers, that divisional game was just weird. All in all, just yeah. very, very strange game. Definitely but, um, was. Uh, let's go ahead and I don't do know, final like, scores. Okay. Do it. What, what are you thinking? I, I'm... Do you have one? I'm going to go. I, 
I, I want to preface, I think this game can go either way. I, I definitely think there's a chance the Lions win. I'm going to go 31-17 49ers. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I think Jared Goff might choke this week. Um, I, I just think that the pressure that the 49ers can send at him, especially knowing how bad he is sometimes, you know, when he's getting pressured, um, I think that's a, a huge X factor. Um, I'm going to go 49ers, uh, 27 lions, 14. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, those are the two games this weekend. You know, there's not really all that much else to talk about. Like I know there's a bunch of head coaching stuff. Me and Colin have been kind of covering that on Monday episodes. Uh, so that's not too big of a deal. Uh, next week is the pro bowl. Uh, I don't really know what we're Yay. going to talk about <laughs> for the Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> it was whatever the fuck we talked about last year. I just remember being a shit show. Um, like, I, I think we talked about, like, what would be a the good dodgeball ball. team. We... <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't even know if we'll talk about the Pro Bowl. Actually, hey, you know, you know what? what? If they're gonna week... if, if they're gonna give us shitty content to talk about, then we're gonna make shitty content trying Possibly. to talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> next week we'll definitely be doing our NFL awards uh, predictions for sure because all the finalists are kind of coming fun. out right now. Because um, that, yeah. So yeah, the NFL awards is on the eighth. So yeah, we'll we'll do the uh, okay. we'll do it on uh, the the first or the second, I guess. Uh, next week. So is that the that's the Friday before the Super Bowl, I think. The is NFL the eighth, awards, right? yeah. Or the Thursday or something. Yeah, Thursday. Yeah, it's on okay. Thursday, so I want to make sure the predictions are out, you know, before the awards happen. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we uh, you'll be hearing our NFL awards predictions next week. Uh, but for now, let's switch it over to baseball. Uh, let's go ahead Ooh. and. Um, conclude our fielders um you know we've gone through the infield now our final t uh, our final list from the outfield in right field our top fives uh, so okay i made an exception for luke we're just going to preface with this i made an exception for luke for a player that did not play at least 60 games in right field i still followed the 60 game protocol so i did not include that player in my list and then we also both agreed not to include Corbin Carroll because he technically works, but we already both put him in our left fielder list. So we'll preface yep. with that. And um, you know what? I'm going to start with number five. I keep letting you start okay, and every I would, single time. <laughs> I, would like to, I would like to say before you start that I, when I was begging Grayson to allow me to put this player in my list, my player was at 54 games at right field. So only six games. No, yeah. It's like not, It's not, not crazy. not a big stretch. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to start with my number five, which is Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers. Uh, guy oh, had man. a breakout season. Um, if you look at, like, the percentage numbers and you really ride off of that, you probably aren't too happy. A 245 batting average is atrocious. Um, but... He has so many other redeeming numbers. A 508 slugging percentage is great. Um, he had 107 RBIs, 108 runs accounted for, or runs scored. Um, 
39 home runs. Um, his baseball savant page is a, a beauty, something I'm yeah. fond of looking at for sure. Um, like when we look at the percentiles, batting run value, 96th percentile, fielding run value, 88th percentile. Um, you've got a barrel percentage of 96 uh, in the 96th percentile, a hard hit percentage in the 92nd percentile. Um, the fielding is actually like is surprisingly good. Uh, he doesn't have yeah. the best range, only in the eighty six, uh, 82nd percentile, but arm value in the 98th percentile and 95th percentile arm strength. Adolis Garcia was genuinely ridiculous this season and put up you know a career year um, and an OPS at 836 compared to his last two years, which were uh, 756 and 740 before that is an incredible improvement for him. So, uh, yeah, Dolce Garcia came in at number five for me. Yeah. I mean, he, um, literally murdered all of his career averages, even though it's not a long, you know, really like, has he been around for a while? No, it's only his third year. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, so like, like you said, 2023, definitely a breakout year. He was my number five as well. Um, and there's really, I don't have much else to bring up. You kind of covered it all. I, I, did you talk about slugging? Yeah, 508. Yeah, I I literally have nothing to add. Almost 40 <laughs> home runs, uh, 110 RBI. You already went through the arm value and the, the fielding from Baseball Savant. So, yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. A big reason why the you know Rangers were able to survive this season. Did yeah. a lot more than just survive, but definitely they um, uh, won a world. He was fantastic. <laughs> I wish, I wish he stayed. I wish he stayed healthy the whole time too. Because yeah. what's crazy is he he wasn't even he didn't play like a full season at all. Uh, he played one forty eight. Okay, so mostly a full season, but I, he did get hurt whenever it was starting to matter the most, though. Yeah, definitely. Right uh, there at the end, yeah, he missed some um, time there at the end. But yeah, he was my number five too, which leads me to believe that once we get to honorable mentions, you and I probably looked at the same guy for this number five spot because uh, there's a there was another guy that was super close to well, Adolis possibly, Garcia. Considering you have a guy on your list that I chose not to use, um, so my number four yeah. is Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, okay, I think <laughs> that, that would be him. <laughs> that his defense was the shining star of his season. Like I. I I talked uh, a lot of shit about Fernando Tatis moving to right field and people being like, oh, he's already a great right fielder because we had not seen him play much right field up to this point. I I don't know what to I guess I'm sorry. I don't know what the proper thing to say is, but to see a guy like Fernando Tatis who was abysmal, absolutely fucking horrible at shortstop, Move to right field and be this good, this fast is insane. 94th percentile range on baseball savant, 94th percentile arm strength, and or sorry, arm value, and 99th percentile arm strength. The batting wasn't amazing this season, but he's still up there and expected slugging in the 91st percentile, 90th percentile in hard hit percentage, um, 89th percentile in average exit velo. Like he is still a fantastic player, but this season the defense really showed. And like he had a, a, a fan graphs defensive statistic at 9.2, but you know, the percentages weren't great. A 448 slugging's not fantastic. 
Uh, a 257 average isn't great. Um, but the strikeouts aren't as high as they have been in the past. The 22% certainly isn't great, uh, but they were much lower than they have been in the past. He stole 29 bases. He had 91 uh, runs uh, scored, 25 homers in a bit of a shortened season because he missed time at the beginning of the year. Like This was the Fernando Tatis that people were kind of hoping to see, and I think it's just going to get better. Like This is not the best offensive version of Fernando Tatis, but I think it's certainly one that um, – you know, has earned the respect he deserves um, when it comes to how good of a baseball player he really is. And he's only 25 years old. On top of all that, like, I I feel like it's really unique to look at him and everything that he's been through in his short time in the MLB. And in 2023, he still was able to come back and switch positions and be probably one of the best, if not like probably top three, top two, would you say fielding right fielders? Yeah. I I think he is. He might've been the best, which is insane. um, It's incredible. Uh, He was my honorable mention only because I valued Adolis Garcia's better batting um, statistics and almost just as good fielding. Well, I, I, I don't know if you could really say almost, but the arm value and arm strength were there for Adolis Garcia, just not the range. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I kind of put Adolis Garcia at five and Fernando Tatis was my honorable mention. But um, now I'm going to go to my number four. Uh, I chose Kyle Tucker for my number four. 284 batting average, th- uh, three th- 369 OBP, 517 slugging, um, 886 OPS. I mean, he was just incredible for the Astros this year. 29 home runs, 112 RBI, which is just ridiculous, and still 30 stolen bases. Um, he's kind of one of those players that they have that they're they're still going to be in good hands once those guys that have been there are kind of flushed out, like Altuve. Yeah. Kyle Tucker is a dog and a pretty decent defender at that as well. So he made my number four. Yeah, he doesn't play the worst defense. It's not fantastic, but he's... Uh... He's definitely like average. He's not bad at defense, but yeah, yeah, um, he actually came in at my number three. So I'll just go ahead and kind of segue into that. Um, Yeah, he was amazing. 11.9% walk percentage is fantastic. His strikeout percentage only a 13.6%. He was getting on base at 369, slugging 517. Uh, The 112 RBIs is insane. Like that is crazy um, to see from him. And, like, 97 runs scored. He stole 30 bases, which I don't think a lot of people talk about with Kyle Tucker. He is very, very smart on the base pass. He does not get caught a lot, but he steals quite a lot and um, is very good at it. So, I I really liked Kyle Tucker's season. Um, You know, obviously, he could have been better. Like, you know, there were points where, like, people were talking about him for, like, MVP uh, last season and, and this this past season, but uh, still a fantastic player. You know, 95th percentile and expected uh, WOBA, um, expected batting average, 94th percentile, 93rd percentile, and expected slugging. He's not like a hard hit guy. He's not a barrel up guy, but 94th percentile in strikeout percentage is crazy. That's the glaring statistic, and a lot of that to do with the fact that he doesn't chase. 86th percentile in chase percentage, 86th percentile in whiff percentage. This is just a pure hitter through and through. 
And he has, first of all, a beautiful lefty swing, but also an amazing eye at the plate. Yeah, I liked that. Um, my number three is the is the elephant in the room, the player of uh, of hot topic. Only played fifty four games at right field, Aaron Judge, and he only played fifty four games is really because Dodger Stadium is just not a safe ballpark to play at if you're in right field. You mean Yankee Stadium? Um, just ask Aaron Judge. He got hurt in Dodger oh, Stadium. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, his big toe that. on that that weird concrete lip out there for yeah. fielders to die. So, um, really, honestly, just incredible for for the short time that Aaron Judge did play uh, this season. Two sixty seven batting average, four oh six OBP, six thirteen slugging, and a one point zero nineteen OPS, which is incredibly high. It's the highest on my list. He has the highest slugging on my list. Um, 37 home runs and 75 RBI and like, I think close to 70 games is ridiculous. He had the second highest arm strength and value on my list. I believe it may have been, it may have been my number one that I think has all the other stats, but, um, I'm just going to run through kind of, kind of the same, same stats that, uh, Grayson did, uh, expected Woba a hundredth percentile expected slugging a hundredth percentile. Average exit velocity, barrel rate, and hard hit percentage all also in the 100 percentile on top of walk rate, um, which offsets his horrible whiff rate and horrible K rate. But, you know, he's walking a lot at least. So, yeah, Aaron Judge, I, I just really wanted to put him on this list, obviously biased, but he still deserves his flowers. He, he was really just incredible this season yeah. when he was on the field. Yeah, he was fantastic, but... Like, personally, like, it wasn't just, like, the 54 games played. It was mainly the fact that he only played, like, just over 100 games. So, like, his numbers don't line up right with everybody else. Um, so I wasn't going to put him in just because he didn't have a qualified, you know, batting statistics and everything. Uh, but I think it's a great pick. If, if he had played more and had, you know, similar stats, he'd have probably come in at three for me. Um, but my number two is pretty obvious. It's Mookie Betts, uh, of course, uh, I think he's fully making the switch back to second base this next season. So, um, you know, it gives somebody wow. an opportunity to jump up to two. But it's it's hard to say there's a there's been a better bat in the MLB over, what, the last 10 years since this guy came up. Like, he's been phenomenal. He's done it everywhere. Um, and the batting. It's all the bat. His defense really isn't that good. A fielding run value on baseball savant at 27th percentile uh, and a range of 15 uh, is bad. And that's, that's you know, kind of combined because he played a decent amount of infield as well this season. But it's really the batting. You know, he it's all red. That's all I have to say. I'm not even going to go through and read all <laughs> yeah. of it. But, like, sweet spot percentage, 98th percentile is amazing. And that just means that when the ball is coming through in a, you know, in kind of the middle of the zone and he swings, he's hitting it. Um, his chase percentage, a 99. That means he is literally just not chasing bad pitches. Like it's, it is amazing to just look at that list and see what he is so fucking good at because there's not a lot of players. You're going to see that consistent of numbers all the way down the list for, um, and kind of just to get into the percentages from this season, uh, 307 batting average is phenomenal. 408 on base probably could be higher. 
um, considering his batting average. Uh, but um, he does strike out a, a decent amount. Uh, you know, a, a 15.4% isn't horrible at all. It's actually very good, but some guys do it better. Um, but, you know, a 579 slugging, he had 107 RBIs. He scored 126 runs, which is phenomenal. Um, and he hit 39 homers, which is also phenomenal. Uh, the defense definitely, you know, hurts him a little bit just because he doesn't have the range. But, you know, at 8.3 F4 this season, he was fantastic. Just not number one. I was about to say, 8.3 war for Mookie Betts, and he is, there's still somebody better. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you like I said, you went through everything that I was going to go through. Um, he, he's in the 82nd percentile of barrel rate, and that's his lowest batting percentile is an 82nd percentile in barrel, uh, barrel percentage. That is uh, crazy. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think, though, I, I honestly don't know what I would think if Aaron Judge logged the full season, though. I, I think Aaron Judge has a case for two here. Even with Mookie Betts looking like that, the, the fielding is where, it, where I would make that separation, I mm-hmm. think. And Aaron Judge would have probably scored more than Mookie Betts, like more home runs, more RBI. Yeah. So I don't know. There's something that, you know, we could debate there, but don't want to take anything away from Mookie. Absolutely fantastic. So he was also my my number two as well. Number one's very obvious now. Um, It's Ronald Acuna, uh, a 100 batting run value this season on Baseball Savant. That kind of tells you the story. Um, We could talk about the fielding. His range sucks. I, I think that's also just, you know, from the ACL injury. Um, oh yeah, ACL hurts. That's yeah. definitely mm-hmm. slowed him down in the outfield, but also it's the fact that Michael Harris can essentially cover his entire spot in right field from center field. Um, <laughs> so like it doesn't really matter all that much, but like you definitely see that a decline happen starting with that you know um, you know post twenty twenty one because like back in twenty twenty seventy third percentile in range and uh, in his rookie mm. year in twenty eighteen. Uh, 83rd percentile in range. Uh, but this season, wow. it's all about the arm value and the arm strength on the defensive side. 96th percentile arm value, 98th percentile arm strength, and the guy mashed. He had uh, – it's it's insane to even say that he had 41 home runs and 73 stolen bases. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, that is an absurd number for anybody – Honestly, in any statistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Really? And he also scored 149 runs. Um, and considering he was the leadoff batter, to have 106 RBIs is phenomenal, but also scoring 149 runs is just a testament to how well he got on base. Uh, 416 on base percentage. He batted 337. That's, like, this was, like, this past year has been kind of the revival of guys just having high batting averages and like it being normal. Like there'd be guys that would lead the league in batting average with like a 315. And Ronald Acuna, I think, was third or fourth in the league in batting average with a 337. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm glad it's coming back because I, I want to see guys on base. Uh you had a, a slugging of five ninety six. Um 
you know, uh, Fangraph's base running statistic, uh, you know, base running runs above average, whatever, uh, was a 7.6. He had an 8.3 F4, a 71.7 offense statistic by Fangraph's. That is an absurd number because, like, there's been lists that we have done throughout this where the highest guy on that, you know, in that statistic on our list is about a 25 or a 30. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) And three guys on this list are above that mark. It's uh, it's pretty absurd. Um, But, yeah, it's it's obviously Ronald Acuna. He's the guy. Yeah. Um, Is this the best uh, season a Brave has ever had? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, Hank Aaron definitely had some seasons where like the extra base hits were insane. Uh, and Chipper Jones certainly had his seasons, um, that were just insane as well. He was like a one time MVP, but oftentimes finalist. Um, like, yeah, Chipper Jones MVP year, um, he had 45 home runs, 110 RBIs. 25 stolen bases, 100. He got walked 126 times. He batted 319. His slugging percentage was a 633, um, which is a, a big help to the extra base hits. Yeah, he had 41 doubles and the 45 home runs, uh, which certainly got him quite a few extra base hits. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that was an insane season. I don't know. It, it's certainly arguable, though. Um, you could definitely make an argument. I'm surprised Chipper stole 25 bases that year. It's pretty good. Dang. Um, nonetheless, uh, it definitely ranks amongst the best. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah, um, you know, kind of been a um a broken record here, but once again, nothing to add. Of course, this is Grayson's favorite team with the best player on that favorite team. So he, he kind of laid it all out. I, I just would like to add, I was very happy to see him play this season. Um, yeah. Very cool to watch an MVP play in person. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Ronald Acuna, undisputed number one, not even close. Yeah. And it's yeah. crazy because there is so much talent at this position. Yeah. I, it, I do think there was, was like a, a significant drop off after like the top five or six. Yeah. I feel like, because, like, going down the list by F4, it's like you have Acuna, Mookie Betts, you know, obviously Corbin Carroll, Aaron Judge get into that conversation, and then Kyle Tucker, Adolis Garcia, Tatis. After that, it's not it's not great. Um, yeah. We'll go by qualified, um, you know, uh, plate appearances, and, like, it goes from Tatis to Lars Newtbar, uh, and Say Suzuki, Lane Thomas, Anthony Santander, George Springer. Like, that's a. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> Josh Lowe? I don't know if he had a qualified um, plate appearances, but he's no. definitely up there as well. Yeah, Josh Lowe had a good year. Nolan Jones uh, for Colorado. Very good year. But, like, yeah, a lot of these guys, like, there is quite the drop off, I'd say. Yeah, that is fair. All right. Well, I think that's kind of it. Uh, any uh, other honorable mentions you want to bring up? I heard you say Josh Lowe, but 
Um, uh, no, I mean, Tatis was the only one. Um, yeah. I really, I really, really think if he would have hit more home runs, which it's weird because his batting, his hard hitting bat- batting stats were all really high percentiles yeah. on baseball savant. Only 25 home runs to show for it. I mean, maybe that's a ballpark thing. Um, but um, if, if he would have hit more home runs, I definitely would have had him at least at number five. Um, yeah, I mean, at least at number five, maybe maybe jumping over Kyle Tucker at four. Who knows? But he definitely would have been better than Adelis Garcia. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, yeah, I think with Tatis, like, he, he hits the shit out of the ball. Um, but he has a very level swing. Um, I think that's a big part of it is just putting the ball in the gap a lot. Um, yeah. So let's um let's switch it up a little bit. We'll stick with baseball and we'll talk about this year's 2024 baseball Hall of Fame class. Um, this is a big one for sure. Uh, this ballot was loaded. Um, some fantastic first year guys on this ballot just. Overall, a lot of great guys on this ballot. But your three guys that get voted in are Adrian Beltre on his first ballot uh, with 95.1% uh, of voters voting him in. And then you have Todd Helton uh, on his sixth ballot, and he got 79.7% of the vote, uh, or was on 79.7% of ballots. And then Joe Maurer on his first ballot got 76.1% uh, of votes. So, yeah, all three of these guys certainly Hall of Famers. Uh, Todd Helton was quite a waiting time. I, I feel like for a long time he should have been in there. Um, but, you know, it took a little bit of time for him to get there, and now he is, which is fantastic. Um, super happy to see him in there. Uh, obviously, Beltre is the guy. Um, when it came to this class, you know, 95% is not easy to get. That's, uh, that's pretty damn close to unanimous. Um, you know, it's something that what, yeah. only Mariano Rivera has done. Uh, I think to this day, the only unanimous. Yeah. Cause Jeter was one away. Yeah. He was one away. I think I'm sure it was a Boston guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beltre. I, I think I will just kind of talk about these guys careers. Like Adrian Beltre. One accomplished fucking player. Um, considering I don't think he ever won a World Series. Um, which is a common thing. It, you know, in in football and basketball, we oftentimes talk about a guy's legacy. And it's like, well, he didn't get that ring. It doesn't make him yeah. one of the best ever. There's quite a few MLB guys that are the best ever and never won a ring. Um, I think Adrian <laughs> Beltre is certainly in that conversation. Um, because the guy's insane. He's he's well into the three thousand hit club with three thousand one hundred and sixty six, well into the four hundred homers with four hundred and seventy seven. He had a career batting average of two eighty six, uh, a career slugging percentage of four eighty, OPS plus at one sixteen for his career. Um, you know, you you go down the list. His time in L A. Um, as a young player, his final season in L A runner-up in the MVP voting and a silver slugger um, led the league with 48 home runs that season. And then mm. he just kind of keeps going. And then in Seattle, uh, after LA, he was once again a fantastic player, but his glove really showed out in Seattle. 
two years in Seattle, back-to-back, 2007-2008, a gold glove. And then he gets to Boston for a year. He was fantastic, makes another move, goes to Texas, and that's where it all blew up. That's where it happened for sure. This guy was fantastic. He was an MVP runner-up. Didn't make an all-star game until 2010 when he got to Boston. 2011, he gets to the Rangers. He's an all-star again. He's top 15 in MVP voting. He's a gold glover and a silver slugger. 2012, the season after, all-star, third in the MVP, and a gold glover. The next season, doesn't make the all-star game, turns it around so well in the second half, he's seventh in MVP voting. This guy's finished seventh in MVP voting three times. <laughs> exactly seventh. <Wow. laughs> Never won an MVP. He was second, third. He was seventh three times. He was ninth. He was 15th twice. Um, never won one. Uh, but the guy is just as accomplished as it comes uh, when it looks at just uh, truly a player playing so well, especially when you think about it. Like his prime started at 31 and didn't end until about 37. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, typically, like your, your prime's going, you know, yeah, from. 26 27 to like 32 yeah and you know he he ended up playing till he was 39 but um he was a guy that definitely could have kept playing like he was he was putting up some ridiculous batting averages late in his career like he was consistently over 300 like 2016 2017 both years he was over 300 um and that was you know, well into his career, the last, you know, or the second to last and third to last year of his career, the last season of his career, he's still bad at 273. He was, he was a Damn. fantastic player and just one hell of a player at the plate, Um, you know, outside of even just power numbers, because obviously he was in the 3000 hits club. So yeah, Adrian Belcher is one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah. And, you know, even bigger than that, uh, just kind of like what he did for the sport of baseball. Def- definitely yeah. a guy who, you know, it, it was his job. He took it seriously, but he had he had more fun than anybody. More like, and that's that's so obvious to say, right? Like, just somebody who really really enjoyed playing the sport, playing against opponents. Like that clip of uh, him getting struck out by King Felix is just is just hilarious. That's just two guys having fucking a good time. And anytime you put Elvis Andrews beside Adrian Beltre, third base and shortstop, <laughs> it's it's gonna be a good time. Yeah. Just what a what a player. You know, all the accolades that you said but or that you said, but even more than that, um, just how much fun he had. Just was so good for the sport, talent wise and you know, personality wise. He was perfect. Yeah. And then uh we'll get into our second guy. It's gonna be inducted uh in I think June or July. Um and it's Todd Helton. This guy was amazing. A full career in Colorado, which is essentially being subjected to hell um, for, I don't even know how, how long, it was 17 years. <laughs> to play in Colorado for 17 years uh, must have sucked. But I love Todd Helton. Uh, five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, four-time Silver Slugger. He had the batting title one season. There, There is a, a particular season in his career that – First of all, it amazes me he didn't win MVP. Uh, it's the year 2000, which was kind of like when he kind of hit his stride. He was all-star. He was fifth in MVP, and he was a silver slugger. He led the league in 
uh, or sorry, he led the National League in hits. He led the league in doubles. He led the league in RBIs. He led the league in the entire slash line, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging, and OPS. And he led the league in total bases. He was fifth? Yeah, fifth behind what, what? the winner, Jason Giambi, who oh my the only God. two stats he led the league in were uh, walks, and he was tied with... Um, or sorry, wait, though, that was the AL. Sorry, NL. Um, the NL was Jeff Kent who won that. Mm. Yeah, he didn't lead the league in a single statistic. And actually, Todd Helton led the uh, National League in war, uh, per baseball reference, by over a oh. point. That's uh, so they crazy. admitted that he was the best player. Yeah, he got one first place. Yeah. He got one first place vote. That's insane. Were the other guys on that list like pitchers or something? No. The four guys ahead of him, all hitters. Jeff Kent, Barry Bonds, Mike Piazza, and Jim Edmonds, who all had good seasons for sure. Not as good as that Todd Helton season. Wow, that's incredible. Like Barry didn't even lead in home runs that year. Sammy Sosa did. Wow. And Sammy Sosa was ninth. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's maybe, um, maybe we should decide. It's egregious. All these, all the, that Todd Helton did yeah. not win the 2000 MVP. Nonetheless, the guy was a finalist multiple other times, or not a finalist, but you know, high up in the voting multiple other times. And like we said, multiple time Golden Glove, multiple time Silver Slugger, and he was doing it in uh, one of the worst franchises in the history of the game. But career numbers-wise, the guy was a monster, especially when you look at the percentages. On-base percentage of 414 for an entire career is insane. Guys don't even do that in the league right now over a season. Mm. And, like, this guy had uh, his best on-base percentage season. Wasn't even that 2000 season. It was 2004 where he had a 469 on-base percentage. That's almost... Almost 50% of the time, he steps up to the plate. He gets on base. It's, Damn. it's absurd. And, and an OPS of 953 for his career, an OPS plus of 133, he's genuinely amazing. Um, and definitely was not wow. getting the respect he deserved. Um, and I think part of that comes from uh, there was definitely like a bit of a drop-off at the end of his career. Um, but like, it wasn't, wasn't crazy, you know, near the end, he still had a season where he played 124 games, batted 302. Um, he just wasn't quite putting up the numbers that people wanted. Um, so he wasn't getting the respect he deserved, but yeah, Todd Helton's a guy that I think got underrated for a long time. Uh, especially when you kind of look at the past and, and just look at honestly, historically first baseman, he got underrated, um, so, yeah, Todd Helton certainly deserves his spot in Cooperstown, and uh, he's earned it. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm sure a lot of that kind of, like, not giving him his flowers definitely comes from the franchise he was in at the time, too. Probably weren't – they weren't winning many games despite how good he was playing. Um, not Not a player that I'm honestly really that familiar with, except for I know he was – he was sick in an MLB game that I played. I can't remember which one it was though. When did he retire? Uh oh, Todd Helton retired in 2013, I believe. Yeah. 
Maybe it was maybe it was oh nine the show with Ryan Howard on the cover is whenever I first encountered Todd Helton. He had a pretty good season, two thousand nine. He was thirteenth in MVP yeah. voting and batted three twenty five. Yeah, it probably was that or that show then. Yeah. Very good player. Uh, and then the final one's Joe Maurer, which I, I think I've talked about on this podcast before. Somehow I just kind of missed Joe Maurer's career, and I don't know how because I was certainly present for Adrian Beltre's, um, which I believe lasted longer um, or started earlier. Like Joe Maurer yeah. and Adrian Beltre both retired mm-hmm. after 2018. And somehow I just kind of missed the greatness that was Joe Maurer. But this guy was insane. I've obviously done my research, but. A one-time MVP, a six-time All-Star, a three-time Gold Glover, five-time Silver Slugger, and a three-time batting title recipient. Like, this guy had some of the most insane stats ever, and, like, he wasn't even, like, he wasn't a power hitter. His best home run season was 28. He had 143 in his career. He played 15 seasons. His career batting average was a three oh six. Career slugging, 439. OPS, 827. The guy was fantastic behind the plate. One of the best defensive catchers ever. But that season he won MVP, good God, did he fucking deserve it. A 365 batting average, a 444 on base percentage, a 587 slugging, a 1.031 OPS, and a 171 OPS+. plus. That led the National League in all of those and led the league in batting average and on-base percentage. Jesus. Yeah, I I don't understand how I kind of missed the greatness of Joe Maurer. I'll never understand why I missed it. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of... I'm glad I've I've gone back and looked because he is one of the best ever. Holy shit. Yeah, he was... uh, I'm sorry. Breaking news. The Falcons are nearing a deal to make Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris their new head coach. What a (laughs) fucking curveball. What a fucking (laughs) curveball. Oh, man. I don't know. I I have no... I don't know. I don't don't have an opinion yet. He knows the the franchise. That's it. I'll talk about it on Monday's episode when I've let it sink in. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Joe Maurer was uh, actually definitely one of my favorite players growing up. Of course, back then I didn't know a lot about baseball, but I always liked Joe Maurer, yeah. you know, a a Minnesota guy through and through. I don't even think he went to college. Uh, he's from St. Paul. I know that. Um, and yeah, spent his whole career with the Twins. I remember, I, I don't know if he always was also a first baseman, but I remember at the end of his career, he played a lot of first base yeah, instead did. of catcher. Um which was cool to see him, you know, get moved around. But, um, yeah, I always, when I think of Joe Maurer, I think of that play where, uh, the, the, he missed a, a wild pitch or something like that. And it hit the backstop behind him. Oh, yeah. And he just like fielded yeah. that shit without even look. Oh dude, that is, that is exactly a, that's just a Joe Maurer play. Only him and Buster Posey could do that. Agreed. Maybe Yachty or Molina. Yeah. But, Yachty um, could. Yeah. Joe Maurer, absolutely solid. Love that he's in the Hall of Fame. Definitely deserves it. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy with those guys. Uh, still need Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame. Don't know what we're waiting on. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to have to see like all the percentages of the rest of the ballots because I think so far they've only released the guys that won. Um, 
I'm going to have to look at the rest of that, see the numbers, see who's going to stay on. I know we've got a solid yeah. class of guys coming in next year for it, though, um, that are going to be interesting to see, like, how people view their um, their legacies. Because I believe, I think Ichiro's on there. Um, oh. He's on the ballot next year. I think Bartolo Colon might be on the ballot next year. Um, yeah. whole lot of guys uh, that I'm excited to see the public opinion on. Um, because obviously Ichiro's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, but there's a few few guys that have some questionable legacies uh, that'll be on that ballot. Yeah, well, um, I, I think an elephant in the room for 2024, like looking at the percentages, is uh, A-Rod at, at 34, which yeah. obviously I, I understand there's reasons for that, but um, yeah, when still you get ridiculous caught, that's the stats. <laughs> yeah. Um, even lower than Carlos Beltran. Ouch. Yeah. That stings. Uh, that does suck. <laughs> but um, Billy Wagner only missed it by nine votes. I feel like that's worth mentioning. He's got to get that's in, That's so man. close. It's crazy. <laughs> it's honestly yeah. ridiculous that he's not. Yeah, but, you know, there's also some guys on this list that I remember, like Jimmy Rollins. What a name there. Yeah. Uh, Andy Pettit, Torrey Hunter, David Wright uh, was actually the caboose of this list. Thought he would be higher. Personally, I feel like a lot of people view David Wright as one of those kind of like heroic baseball players. <sighs> kind of, um, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, not a, not a big Mets fan. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I think he had a little bit of an underwhelming um, career. Like he played 14 seasons, which like, isn't that bad. Um, but like his last three seasons in the league, he didn't even break 40 games. Yeah. Um, mm. And, like, he just kind of didn't have, like, the best years uh, and then just kind of abruptly retired. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of sample size. Like, his prime was amazing, and his prime honestly started his second year in the league, uh, which is crazy, (laughs) like, at age 22, and then kind of, like, didn't even end until 2013. He was very good, but it just seems like the public opinion is that he wasn't, he didn't do enough in his time. Yeah, which is fair. Definitely yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the re- like the returning guys are interesting. I think Andy Pettit uh, is certainly a guy that needs to be mentioned more. Francisco Rodriguez. It's crazy to me. He only got 7.8% of the votes. One of the best closers ever. Um, kind of the same goes for Billy Wagner. But, you know, next year, CeCe is going to be on that ballot. Dustin Pedroia. Ooh. Is going to be on that ballot. Wow. Fucking King Felix is going to be on that ballot. He's a guy that's oh, got to win. But like, you have a lot of fringe names. You you got you got guys like Troy Tulowitzki and, and Curtis Granderson, Hanley Ramirez, uh, Ian Kinsler, another guy that's just kind of yeah. like right there on the edge. Maybe he could be a Hall of Famer. Maybe he won't be. A lot of these guys are going to yeah. be like the guys that if they do get it, it'll be like seventh year on the ballot and there's not a lot of guys that you know are contending yeah well when it comes to Tulowitzki, just don't don't look at the pinstripe era the very short pinstripe era just 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 pay attention to the rockies <laughs> yeah that's fair uh, that was only <laughs> one year though and he only played five yeah. games was it really only five games yeah yeah 
I remember it being like kind of a big deal to me because Tulowitzki was another guy that I remember from the really old video games that I would play when I was younger. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, like my team got him as an older guy. It's it's the typical Yankee signing of, you know, yeah. like a Jacoby Ellsbury, somebody that's a legend, kind of, but yeah. won't do anything for your team now. I, I think <laughs> to me, Troy Tulowitzki falls into the exact same thing as David Wright, where it's like his prime was phenomenal for sure. Yeah. Then you, and then he gets traded to Toronto. He plays there for three years and is just so underwhelming, and then goes to New York <laughs> and plays five games and retires. Yeah, yeah, he's uh he's an interesting case, but yeah, a lot of guys uh, to look forward to next year uh, on the uh, on the uh, ballot. Brian McCann will get his first chance uh, on the ballot. Very excited for that. Uh, I'm sure he won't make it, but. Very excited to see Brian McCann on there. I'm a big Brian, major, major yeah. Brian McCann guy. One of my favorite <laughs> players ever. Um, yeah. But let's go ahead and um, let's go over to talk about soccer. So, uh, weird week. Uh, we kind of discussed it last week when we accidentally broke down games that won't be happening until next week. Um, that one's on me. I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. Uh, but... There is no Premier League games this weekend. Um, there is, in fact, uh, or there was Carabao Cup or EFL Cup uh, matches in the middle of the week, and there's FA Cup matches this weekend. Um, some big teams playing in the FA Cup. Um, and then uh, we'll go ahead and just kind of – I know you have some notes for the uh, the Carabao Cup or EFL Cup, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, so we'll start there. Um yeah, Chelsea 6, Middlesbrough 1, Chelsea advance 6-2 on aggregate. Yeah, um, my my notes were for the FA Cup when I texted oh, you okay. last Never night. Mind. But um, I, I wanted to go into this game a little bit more whenever we talked about Chelsea versus uh, Aston Villa in the FA Cup. But um, just kind of like a, a bottom baseline that we can go off of. Um, w- what a performance. Th- this is... You know what Chelsea can look like when they are firing at all cylinders and taking their chances because our offense is good. It's just, you know, we just haven't had anybody to score for us. Uh, and uh, it, it's exactly what we needed. You know, losing one nil was it, it was one of those games where Chelsea fans were all going to social media and just saying how much this era of Chelsea suck. Yeah. And then to come out in the second leg and do this was absolutely phenomenal. I'm very proud of my team. Yeah. It was a great performance, um, you know, notably Cole Palmer. Two more goals yeah. for that guy. Man, he has been – It's getting a, cold. It is, man. It's cold getting Palmer, real man. chilly. <laughs> um, he has been such a blessing for Chelsea this season. <laughs> Big time. And he was the one signing where you and I were like, what? Yeah, <laughs> what we, we both thought it was kind of a weird move at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but – uh. What a player. What a player. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, the rest of the team obviously opened up the goal scoring with an own goal uh, by Middlesbrough. And then uh, mm-hmm. Enzo Fernandez scores in the 29th. Uh, DeSassi scores in the 36th. You have uh, the two goals from Cole Palmer. And then uh, Noni Madweke scores a goal, um, I believe, off the bench. Connor Gallagher had two assists off the bench. Um, overall, a fantastic performance by the entire team. Um, and obviously Middlesbrough is not good. Um, you know, they're, they're not in the prem anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
they haven't been for a number of years now. Uh, still made it to the semifinal though. Yeah, still made it to the semifinal. Uh, and and are like you know a middle of the pack uh, championship team. So it's nice to see Chelsea, you know, turn it around there uh, and get the win. Um, but the other match, Liverpool won, Fulham won, uh, and Liverpool advanced three two on aggregate. That one surprised me. You know, and I know Fulham's pretty good, uh, and they were playing at Craven Cottage, uh, but you know, to to kind of hold Liverpool off after giving up that goal in the 11th minute to uh, Luis Diaz. Um, Fulham played a great game after that, played super well. They finally got their goal late in the game, 77th minute. They hold on, they get the draw. Unfortunately, they don't win, but this was a good performance for Fulham. Yeah, that that's you literally just said exactly what my notes are once again. Um, Liverpool pretty much fielded almost their starting 11. I think they had a center back and a right back that were just a little bit different, some guys that they were rotating in. Yeah. But yeah. Fulham, like you said, did an amazing job against a, you know, 90% Liverpool team. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they I, there's nothing more to say than they, they gave them a good game, really. Yeah, and considering this was – Oh, sorry. This is a Muhammad Salah less. Yeah, we'll say that Muhammad Salah less. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool yeah. side. Um, you didn't have Allison in goal. Um, like you said, uh, Kwanza started at center back and uh, Bradley. Um, at right back, that being Connor Bradley of Northern Ireland, the twenty-year-old. Um, yeah, it wasn't a bad performance. Uh, at all. By either side, but Liverpool definitely um, definitely showed some weakness uh, in the attack. Darwin Nunes not play great. Uh, kind of the same goes for uh, Cody Gakpo. Both of them have been struggling quite a bit this season. It feels like. Yeah, um, definitely not as much hype around them as there was last season for yeah. sure. And one thing that I think it's fair to mention is that Liverpool. It seems that they have rotated their strikers and really everybody but Salah, the other two positions, striker and left wing. They have rotated it so many different times this yeah. year and looked at it so many different ways. And you know, it, it's it's good to change and try to adapt, but it's also a sign that your system is failing, kind of thing. Um, yeah, that that would be kind of my two cents there. Yeah, I feel Liverpool's like attack. You know. Liverpool this season has kind of gotten away with not having a great striker. Uh, yeah, big time. Because, you know, if you look at, like, the guys that have played at striker this season, like like Darwin Nunes, Gakpo has started there, uh, Diogo Jota has started there quite a bit. Um, none of those guys are, like, really strikers. I guess Darwin Nunes is. He's just not a good one. Um, it, it just doesn't seem doesn't seem like Liverpool has that good of options and they haven't for a few years and they've just kind of gotten away with it. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I think you kind of had the the notion of the the false nine set with Firmino that you didn't yeah. really need a striker that could score goals and they just have since not been able to re- replicate Firmino's era in that system, which, and you know, it could be why if you want to look at it deeper, you have a lot of players like Salah and maybe even I, I've heard um, Klopp on his way out as well. So, you know, maybe they're the owners. there kind of looking for a change in their system from, maybe. you know, being a really, really good team in like 17, 18. Um, but who knows? 
Yeah. They're still playing very well. <laughs> yeah, they are. Of course, they're top of the table, five mm-hmm. points clear of second place in the Premier League right now. Um, but More than our teams are doing right yeah, now. Yeah, certainly better than our teams are playing right now. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I do still think there's things to improve for Liverpool here. Uh, but now mm-hmm. that sets up um, on February 25th, the EFL Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool. Um you know, early prediction because, you know, for Chelsea, there's no telling who's going to be injured by February 25th. Um, but Mo Salah <laughs> will be back uh, from AFCON by then. Already. Yeah, I, I'm i sure we'll forget that's a, that that's even happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a month from now, literally a month from today as we're recording. Um, yeah. I'm sure we'll forget about it, but um, yeah, maybe we'll talk about it if we if we catch it. Um, but let's talk about the FA Cup real quick. Some very good matchups this weekend, and I'm not sure if we're you know going to see full lineups. Uh, but Chelsea versus Aston Villa uh, on Friday. As you're listening to this, uh, you can go watch this match uh, on ESPN Plus. Yeah, um, and I'll I guess I'll just take it from here. So Chelsea Villa uh, already kind of went into the win over Middlesbrough. That you know that is what Chelsea's offense can look at. Like I said, when it is 100% firing at all cylinders, um, Chelsea were able to create five big chances, which is, for that stat, is really a shit ton for one game. And we only missed one of those. So very solid, very clinical there. Um, and then on the Villa side, I I'm, my notes are very short here for FA Cup. Um, they're good, but they're short. Villa are coming off of a, a nil-nil draw with Everton. Basically, they, they just didn't really let Everton... They, they let Everton have a very good game is what I'm trying to yeah. get at. Everton was able to have chances against them. Um, of course, with it being nil-nil, Everton didn't cha- take their chances either there, but um, th- they just let Everton in the game, basically. that That's really the only way I can put it. Um, they just didn't play well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I you know, I caught a little bit uh, of that match. I think it was about two weeks ago now. Um between Aston Villa and Everton. And I, I think Aston Villa was willing to let Everton keep possession uh, between the midfield and the defense. Every single time it touched an attacker, it was a turnover. Literally yeah. everything. Like Dominic Calvert-Lewin absolutely sucks, and I'm so tired of talking about him. Um, he's just <laughs> as bad as Richarlison was prior. And with how much deep shit Everton's in, like, first of all, it ain't getting any better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going with that. But, that is for sure. Uh, on Villa's side, like that game was more for them, led by their defense and the strength of the defense within the midfield. Kamara and Douglas Luiz are fantastic in that midfield, um, and their contributions to this game kept it nil nil. Uh, but once again, we see a little bit of a decline by their attacking um, side. Notably, Ollie Watkins kind of struggling. Um, you know, recently he has not been all that good. I, I think with Diaby, I, I, I give him a longer leash when it comes to the attacking side and like just shots because he, he's not traditionally like an all-out striker. Uh, he's not you know a goal-scoring striker. He definitely is more of a false nine um, and wants to allow players to score around him. It just doesn't seem like they have goal scorers around him. So it's not quite working. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, if you want that false nine to work, you usually don't run a four four two. Yeah, um, 
Because like it, it allows, I guess it allows Diaby to kind of sit back and allow um, Leon Bailey to come up the right side past him, and, and it, they can feed passes into each other, and it gives Diaby the opportunity to you know hit Ollie Watkins on through balls over the top into the box. But it just like visually watching the games, it, it's such a low success rate. Yeah, that's fair. And that's, you know, Aston Villa have been good this season, but that's probably, I think you and I could agree on the one thing that's kind of holding them back from being just better yeah. this season is that kind of in uh, inconsistent attack there. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a good game. I have one last stat before I give my score prediction. This one's actually about Raheem Sterling. You're going to, you're going to like this stat. Raheem Sterling has been directly involved in 19 goals in his last 20 FA Cup games that he's played in. Ten goals and nine assists. I bet. I have been talking yeah, about how he's having solid. a great season. He is. Yeah. He um, is, but he's a he's a big man for the FA Cup. Definitely. <laughs> uh, if we're looking at matchup history, Aston Villa has won the last three meetings. Uh, you had two Premier League games back to back, or not back to back, but. Um, you had the first matchup of this season, September 24th, 2023. Villa took that 1-0 back in April uh, 2023. Uh, Villa took it 2-0. And I know this doesn't technically count, but a club friendly during the World Cup uh, that Aston Villa took 1-0 uh, the last three meetings. Uh, you did beat them on October 16th, 2022 in an actual Premier League game. Uh, but I, I think Chelsea's kind of like, getting back they're, they're starting to, to get over the hump now you have the goal scorers uh, i think guys are getting confident um the problem is the injuries they they literally every single time you guys start moving back up and another injury happens and you guys just fall right back down and that injury every single time is reese james every single time he steps on the <laughs> field he just gets hurt for another couple months yeah <laughs> it's crazy yep Oh, man, you're you're falling into the same trap that I used to. I, I'm <laughs> I need a full season before I'm back to normal That's in my fair. in my way that I view Chelsea. Um, but you know I'm I'm hungry for the FA Cup, man, because our last FA Cup win was in 2018, and I'm sure you remember. But 2020, 2021, and 2022, Chelsea lost in the FA Cup final in three consecutive years in a row. We're the only team to ever do that in FA Cup history. So well, there's a record. I am extremely hungry. Yeah, there is a record there. Not a good one, but we hold that <laughs> record. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm I'm hungry for this cup, man. I, yeah. I love the FA Cup, and uh, Chelsea have you know been really successful in it in recent history. Just haven't brought it home since 2018. So I I won it this year. Bad. All right. Well, we've got a few more very good matchups, uh, notably on Saturday, uh, a full lineup, but also tomorrow. At 3 p.m., Tottenham Hotspur in Manchester City. Um, once again, you know, wow. there's no telling who's who's in, who's out uh, in these kinds of lineups. But between these two teams, they both look pretty good right now. I think Tottenham's kind of they're turning around for the better at the moment. Um, you know, I'd say personally, Timo looks good. Sorry, Timo looks good. Yeah, Timo this does new look good. Tottenham team, good start for yeah. him. Um, but you know, the two, two drawing it's man United, um, you know, a, a week or so ago, not the best, uh, I have to say, but like you said, Timo Werner did have a good game. He assisted 
Uh, I believe he assisted Ben Charlison's. Oh, okay. So yeah, he assisted um, Benton Kerr's uh, goal, and then uh, Richarlison also had a goal that was assisted by Pedro Porro, who has been awesome this season. Don't even, bro. If if we do like a team of the season for second and short with the Premier League, Pedro it. Porro is a lock at right back. Yeah, or, I agree. If it's if Chelsea ever wanted, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, Trent's having a good year, too. But, no, seriously, if, if Chelsea ever actually – if it came down to replacing Reese James, I want Pedro Porro. Yeah. Tottenham can have all the money they want in the world. Pedro Porro is – he's so sick. He, he needs to start being talked about more often, um, yeah. for sure. I definitely agree. Um, yeah, like, this was a weird match uh, a couple of weeks ago because, you know, Rasmus Hoylund actually did something. Uh, which certainly makes it a weird match uh, for Manchester United. Yeah. Um, yep. But, like, what the fuck is Johnny Evans doing? Why is he back? Why is he always back? <laughs> Getting the gang back together, man. He just He just finds his way into the Manchester United squad for, like, a month every year. Yeah. I don't get it. J- Johnny Evans... He he's one of those players that like he's worked his way into the system. Yeah. Like I know good and damn well that there are teenagers in academies better than Johnny Evans right yep. now. But he has worked his way into the system. It's like kind of like backup quarterbacks, I guess. Like there's yeah. oh, one that'll just float around even though they're not good. But yeah, that's Johnny Evans. I mean, respect, but also no respect. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh so right now. Uh, for Manchester City, it looks like you may not see John Stones, Erling Holland, or Ederson in this team. That is mm. not a good sign. <laughs> but is Oscar Bob gonna play or not? That's true. He is a difference maker. Um for sure. For Oscar Bob. Um I will say Phil Foden uh has played well in the FA Cup so far this season. Um in their uh, only match they played, he scored two of the goals. Uh, the Man City scored. So, um, wow. definitely be on the lookout for uh, old Philip. But um, for Tottenham, I, I think it's just a matter of being clinical. Um, they've had that issue plenty of times. Obviously, when Richarlison's your striker, it's hard to be clinical. Um, but Manchester City doesn't give you a lot of opportunities to score. And if Tottenham no. is going to even compete in this game, they've got to you know, finish a couple of those opportunities. Um, you just don't see a lot of chances created, um, especially at, at the fault of Manchester City, and Tottenham's got to do something about it. The problem is Manchester City uh, is kind of getting back to full health or at least getting towards it. Uh, obviously, De Bruyne is back in the lineup, as I um, woefully discussed <laughs> last week. Um, oh, and, boy. Uh, you know, plenty of other guys can make an impact in that lineup, even if Holland's out. Um, so um, I'm certainly not worried about Manchester City if they're missing Erling Holland. Um, but Tottenham Hotspur very, very close to the return of James Madison, which they are very much looking forward to. I'm mad that you brought it up because I, I actually just I was checking on his injury while you were talking, and he could actually return yeah. tomorrow and play in this game. Which is, I guess, not really breaking news, but that's breaking news for this discussion because um, if if he comes back and hits it off like how he was playing, that's you know it's it's gonna be a good game. He's yeah. he's gonna help out with 
um, that clinical um, part that you were talking about. He can make them more clinical. Um, are, will they still be better than Manchester City even without those players? Probably tactically, no. Um, Manchester City probably still are the better team, but if James Madison comes back, that's um, that's definitely a game changer. Changer, regardless of the outcome, it's a yeah. game changer. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the biggest problem is that um, you know, you're missing Huangman's son, who's playing in the Asia Cup right now. Yeah, that that's kind of the biggest knock. So, uh, for Manchester City, I, I think I think they'll probably win. I know we haven't really been doing predictions, but I think they're going to win two 0 Okay. Um, are, the, are these in legs? Are these one games for this round? No clue. I'll I think it's just one game. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go one-one draw into overtime. Um, and Manchester City are gonna win two-one in overtime. Okay. Extra time. Uh, all right. Well, then uh, there's a couple of pretty good matches on Saturday uh, between like Premier League teams. You have Everton, Luton. Uh, Sheffield United versus Brighton, but we're going to talk Fulham, Newcastle. Uh, I just wanted a chance to talk about Newcastle. Uh, I The injuries are killing us still, um, especially with Joe Ellington being out until about May. Uh, that's not good at all, considering the uh, midfield depth was already an issue. Luckily, Joe Willock should be returning pretty soon. Uh, Jacob Murphy should be <laughs> returning pretty soon. Um so that should help. Harvey Barnes should be back within uh, a matter of weeks. So, you know, the things are kind of turning around there for uh, for midfield depth, but uh, don't like where we're at right now with it. Uh, obviously, we can throw out, you know, a midfield with uh, Longstaff, Gimaraish, and Lewis Miley, uh, but how far will that get us? I don't know because it hasn't been, you know, hasn't brought the best results. I, I'm sorry, but like we we haven't actually really ever mentioned this on the podcast. I, I'm laughing at you talking about your your Newcastle uh, issues because it is it's it's really very similar to what Chelsea's going through. Yeah, it's extremely yeah. similar. Um, we are ninth and tenth in the Premier League table, I believe. Yes. Um, and but you know, kind of like Chelsea, Newcastle is still a team that I have hope for, especially against Fulham. Um, which I would say that, you know, coming off of that Liverpool game, Fulham is coming into this one a little bit hot. You know, they, they've proven that they can kind yeah. of contend with a Liverpool team that's almost, you know, majority starters. Um, but, you know, this is a game where I would still hope that Newcastle could win here. But yeah. I don't. I don't know. Is that fair to say against Fulham for you guys? I think you're entirely don't in, know. in the right place to be saying that. Uh, obviously, you know, our last two Prem matches have been extremely difficult, uh, you know, facing Man City and Liverpool. And, you know, outside of that, that's all we've played in 2024 is Liverpool, Newcastle, or sorry, Liverpool, Man City. And then we had played the uh, FA Cup in the last round and beat Sunderland, who is a fierce rival. And we did beat them 3 0. Not a good team, uh, but a rival nonetheless. And, I think my biggest thing is that, like, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since we lost 1-0 to fucking Luton Town. Nothing's changed since we lost 3-1 to Nottingham Forest. And, you know, looking back, like, nothing's changed since we got thrashed by Everton and Tottenham, uh, you know, in, in just a matter of a couple days. Like, this team, there needed to be changes. They haven't done anything in the transfer window. 
and it's getting to the point where it's almost too late. And now all of the sudden I'm seeing everything. And we'll talk a little bit about stuff that, you know, we might be doing, but it's like, why did we wait so long to try and address all of these issues? Because the, first of all, Callum Wilson sucks. Um, he is horrible. I do not want to see him play another game. It's likely that he doesn't. Um, and I'm getting tired of the midfield depth. Obviously, we've kind of already talked about that plenty. Um, I'm getting pretty tired of that. I'm glad that Sven Botman's back, but Fabian Scher is just simply not playing that well. Um, and I, I, he needs to be better. So, you know, there's obviously things that can be addressed, but it's just a matter of getting these guys to just go out there and play. Like, it's just... The depth is what kills us, for sure. But the fact that even when we have our best 11 players on that pitch, they're not playing well. I don't know what needs to change, but obviously something is wrong. That's fair. That's fair. So how do you think uh, How do you think the Fulham game is going to go? I, I, I just feel like Fulham's got us, man. Like, Really? Yeah, the injuries are certainly wow. not helping. The depth certainly doesn't help because think about it, we're gonna have to throw out probably our best fucking lineup, and if we don't, it's gonna be a shit lineup if we don't throw out the best guys we have available. And considering this is an FA Cup match, and I think we turn around and play a Premier League match not like four days later, um, you're probably not gonna see a full strength Newcastle lineup. For Fulham, yeah, you're probably not going to see a full-strength Fulham team considering they played Liverpool a couple days ago. They play us on the 27th, and then they play a game uh, in a matter of days from then, too. I just, I don't know. I don't trust our ability to to play well if we don't have the best 11 out there, and I don't see us putting out our, our best lineup here. You know, I, I think, though, I, I want to add that the the 2-3 loss to City, there there definitely are some positives you can take sure. from, from that game. Sure. Like, if you want to look at it from a wider lens, Newcastle held City to a major comeback with all of these depth issues and injury issues and, you know, kind of questions at strikers. So, yeah. you know, Newcastle are a team that, you know, they might be struggling right now, but it's a different kind of struggle. They're They're hanging on. Yeah, oh, I, I definitely agree. It's just, you know, we're we're at this point in this in the season where like there's been a lot of breaks. Like it's not just like Premier League match every single weekend, and I, yeah. I think that's thrown people off. Um, I think you know for the players, the schedule just feels weird because like think of it, we're playing our best soccer for like the first you know three months of the season essentially, and we're we looked great, and then we hit like that that late December part of the year where like. You start playing more midweek Premier League matches and like, you know, the, the Champions League group stages just, you know, come to an end. But now Christmas is coming around, so they want to load up the weekdays with matches. And the, and then you have the FA Cup and the EFL Cup. And the the schedule just becomes so weird that like it doesn't for some reason we've really fallen off in this part of the season where like a lot of matches end up being a lot closer together. Yeah. So I and and once again that kind of is a, a testament to how bad the depth is and the fact that we can't put out a good there we literally cannot pull a good player off our bench. There is not one. <laughs> uh 
But luckily, there is guys coming back from injury, which should definitely help. I'm I'm excited to see Jacob Murphy and Joe uh, Joseph Willock or Joe Willock um, come back because they they're both great players. Fantastic! I, I like that take. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a score prediction. I'm going to go one nil Newcastle. All right, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go one one. Goes into extra, uh, and uh, and we'll win it. We'll take Newcastle two one in okay. extra time. All right, well, uh, that's the FA Cup. Uh, anything else to add before we get into some transfer news? Um, No, I think we can go ahead and jump in. All right, well, then let's go ahead and do it. Some transfer news to talk about for sure. And as always, uh, we uh, we uh, open up this segment with uh, Kylian Mbappe news every single week. Oh, and, um, yes. Today is not any different. Um, so it looks like... I don't know if this is true because I'm sure tomorrow, honestly, I'm sure while we're talking about this, I'm going to get a Twitter notification that says this isn't true. <laughs> but oh, for now, man. Kylian Mbappe has told PSG he will not stay there after his contract expires in the summer. Uh, he's likely to go to Real Madrid. He wants 70 million euros a year. Real Madrid is willing to offer about 35 <laughs> which is kind of low. Um, <laughs> Damn. Plus bonuses oh. uh, is what I've heard. But the the craziest wrinkle in all of this is that if Real Madrid get Kylian Mbappe this summer, which does look like it's getting increasingly likely, Real Madrid might explore their options in selling Vinicius Jr. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. I know it's it's been talked about, but only in terms of uh, the racism that he's faced over yeah. there. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I love Vinicius on Madrid. It just feels so right. That would be weird. Yeah, he's so to see good. him leave Madrid. He's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a kind of weird thing uh, that I also heard. Uh, Florentino Perez said that uh, he thinks Mbappe is the best player in the world, and he thinks Vinicius Junior is the second best player in the world. Uh, first of all, have you not been watching what Jude Bellingham has been doing for your team all year? Uh, and second of all, yeah. Erling Holland exists uh, and does play yeah. soccer as well. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's typical Florentino, Mister Mob Boss Perez, um, yeah. just trying to sway Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, but kind of crazy to just shit on Jude Bellingham like that, <laughs> and and saying that Vinicius Junior is the second best player yeah, in the he's world. He's not. He's fantastic. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Not the second best player in the world. Maybe top 10. Yeah. And it, it takes some arguing. Uh, but other news, of course, whenever a good player is like first talked about being transferred, Manchester United are tracking this development. Um, oh, nice. Of course. Even though right now uh, they're talking about how much play, how many players they got to sell to just make any money. Um yeah, and it's January 25th, so yeah. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the oh, next man. thing, though, another factor in Mbappe's decision uh, on where he wants to play is that he wants to play in the Olympics this year, and that if a club will not allow him to play, he will not join their club. So and I, I, I think that'd be a, a simple thing to do, like a simple thing for a club to just be like, no, we don't want you to play in it. Um, cause he's definitely going to be playing in the Euros, um, this summer, but he wants to play mm -hmm. in the Olympics since it's in Paris. Um, 
which, you know, is big for any French player. A lot of French guys probably do want to play in it. But I understand if a club doesn't want him to because the Euros are going to go from June 14th to July 14th. And then the group stages for the Olympics will begin 10 days later on July 24th. And then yeah, that goes I, until I, August 2nd. Or, sorry, August 10th. And then the season starts within a matter of days or weeks. The, oh, yeah. So he wouldn't He wouldn't. He wouldn't the get a summer for a while. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> wouldn't much. have a summer either. But, I, I mean, if there's, if we're concerned about his body, Mbappe's a superstar. Yeah, of course. If there, if there, if he, he's definitely one of the players in the world that could do that. But it's weird because if he's not getting back with the team until like a week before and it's a new team, that's kind of strange. Yeah. Um, and what if in the advent, you know, chance since he's playing in two summer tournaments, what if he does get hurt? That's, I, I mean, I, know, I understand knows? the concern. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about this. It's not even transfer news, so I should have put it at the end, but this is crazy. If Manchester City were to be found guilty of the most serious of the alleged uh, financial fair play breaches and all that, and they do get relegated, rumors are swirling that Pep Guardiola will sign a new contract <laughs> with Man City. <laughs> It'll get paid less money. Just to defy the Premier League, essentially. Wow. And he would absolutely cakewalk. Oh my every god, dude! Body I, okay, the let's. Who's the worst team in the championship right now? <laughs> yeah, try like Crawley Town. Oh, they definitely could be. I'm trying to just pull up the table. Here we go. Uh, Rotherham. Yeah. Yeah. Rotherham. They have won a whopping three games. And they've played 28. <laughs> Dude, Damn. but like, okay, here, I'll give you, I'll give everybody an example of this team on a rainy night in Stoke. 19th in the table, Stoke City right now. <laughs> Pep Guardiola is walking in to Stoke with fucking Oscar Bob starting in this lineup with every single young player and then a drunk Jack Grealish at the left wing. Um, yeah. And shit-stomping Stoke City. Yeah, completely just dismantling. Yeah. Uh, like, Swansea, <laughs> no chance. Blackburn <laughs> Rovers, they haven't been good since, what, Alan Scherer was there? What? <laughs> Was he a Blackburn player? Yeah, yeah, he went Blackburn, okay. Newcastle. Um, okay, I think he won the Prem with Blackburn. I could be wrong. Maybe for some reason I feel like that's right. Um, uh, Guardiola is going to put on a masterclass. Yeah, dude. If Pep so, actually yeah. is a manager in the championship, I will lose my mind. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be hilarious. Um, Unbelievable, dude. Considering Barcelona would cry if he came back. Uh, they would yeah. they would fall to their knees if he came back. Um but yeah, I thought I thought that was insane. Um but the next <laughs> thing, another guy that we talk about every single week is Alfonso Davies. Um new development, probably not going to Real Madrid. Uh because Bayern oh. has now offered him a new contract that is much better than Real Madrid's offer. So the expectation is that he will remain in Bayern Munich. 
I'm fine with that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I think we talked about this two weeks ago. Alfonso Davies has not been as good as he used to be. Um, and I think we talked about, like, mental health being a, a factor. Uh, with, like, oh, yeah, a, with his girlfriend. Relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about that. Yeah. I, I thought a, a change of scenery would be good for him. If he doesn't want it, then, I don't know, stay at Bayern, get, get that bag. Yeah. Sure. Um, but to stick with Bayern and fullbacks – uh, Bayern was showing interest in Kieran Trippier. Trippier, whoever, however the fuck you want to say it. I say it however I decide to say it that one time. I never say it. I'm not consistent <laughs> with it at all, I will say. Um, I just call him Kieran half the time when I'm yelling at the screen. But, um, uh, yeah, Bayern dropped out uh, of you know trying to get him because Newcastle was asking for $25 million. I think that's a fair price. Mm. Yeah, I, I maybe you could get more. Yeah, like considering his chance creation and just set piece skills that he's shown off in the last two seasons, I I think he's easily worth that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Newcastle also did sign somebody. Uh, it just happens to be an eighteen year old midfielder from Man City, Alfie Harrison. Maybe we'll get lucky. Okay. Yeah, Maybe we'll get lucky on our Manchester City young midfielder. Is he a player that you think could see the field recently with that midfield depth or no? I don't think he's yeah. made an appearance for the senior team. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, I don't know. Maybe he'll be good. He looks like uh, – uh, yeah, no, he kind of does. He kind of looks like Erling Holland on meth. What's this guy's name? <laughs> uh, Alfie Harrison. <laughs> He's got like the long hair with like the shaved sides, and he puts it in like a little bun on the back. Um, he just looks like a super skinny version of Erling Holland. Yeah, he definitely looks like he was born in two thousand and five. There's like n- he has like no yeah. facial features. He's like a Lego. Yeah, yeah, he is. I love that. Is a fantastic, fantastic uh, observation. He is a Lego. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'll score fucking 50 goals. That'd be nice. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, let's see. <laughs> a couple more. Uh, Leander Dendocker is heading on loan to Napoli from Aston Villa. Um, yeah, it's a pretty solid move. He's not really getting his way uh, into Aston Villa's squad right now. And Napoli always goes for players uh, that are out of favor in the in the prep. Yeah, respect to Napoli for doing that. But I remember yeah. the Din Donker guy. I think he was at Dortmund before, and he uh, they yeah, were think he talking was. about him kind of having some potential. And I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he still has a chance to get it all together. Possibly. Well, now we're going to hit the, the Manchester United section of transfer news. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is where it's just like, are, are you serious? These are horrible decisions. Uh, this one is a good one to be interested in. Uh, they've showed some strong interest in Gleason Bremer. Uh, the Brazilian center back for Juventus. Uh, mm. But it's not known if Juventus are willing to sell him right now. Uh, but apparently United have been kind of keeping an eye on him for a few months, um, likely to make the move in the summer uh, and not this January. Yeah. I, uh, sorry, yawning as well. Um, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, that'd be a good move. He's, he's a very good center back, much better than Johnny Evans. Uh, I can, I'm willing to say yeah. that. Probably. <laughs> uh, this one was a uh, bit of a head-scratcher. Manchester United turned down 
Inter Milan's offer to swap Aaron Juan Basaka for Denzel Dumfries. I feel like that's a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I was about to say, Dumfries is crazy. Yeah, he is amazing. And Basaka has never, never turned into what you wanted him to. No, not at all. <laughs> and the only reason I could think for them not taking this is that apparently Al-Nassar are lining up quite the bid uh, for Casemiro and Aaron Juan Basaka uh, because it looks like Manchester United is trying to sell off some of their higher-earning players uh, so that this new kind of management group can make their own moves, bring in their own guys. Um, and Casemiro and Juan Basaka simply get paid way too much for what you know the role they play. Um, so if Al-Nassar is going to you know, fork over a shitload of money, I wouldn't blame them for uh, selling both of those guys off. Yeah, and I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Bruno Fernandez would be the first on my list yep. to jump ship. Agreed. For me. Definitely. You've got to restart there. Yep. Uh, then, <laughs> like, uh, compare, like, uh, just Bruno gets so much more attention, but James Madison is leagues yeah, better than Bruno. Definitely. And they leagues play the same better position. better than Bruno. Exactly. Even Sorry, fucking I mean, Bernardo right Silva there. is better than Bruno Fernandez, and he's not even the best midfielder on his team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. insane. Um, and then uh, last thing, uh, Manchester United have informed Anthony Martial that his contract will not be renewed this summer. So that is finally coming to an end. Enough of Manchester United signing a striker, <laughs> they get hurt, and Anthony Martial still ends up on the field. Enough of it. How, how has he survived this long? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I remember when he made that move from Monaco – and it just being the biggest deal. He was the next guy. Yeah. And he had a couple of seasons yep. where he looked decent. Never was he, like, once, like, never once would I have considered him, like, a great player. Or a player yeah. that should have stayed on Manchester United this long. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about your guys. Chelsea. Uh, supposedly, uh -oh. they are ready to pay... Victor Osimhen's release clause in the summer, not in January, uh, in the summer. Uh, but that release clause is somewhere around 120 to 130 million euros. Yeah, just we just keep doing it. <laughs> keep <laughs> spending and hoping. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's not even how much he's going to get paid. Um, just... Please don't be somebody that we just sell the next transfer window. Yeah. <laughs> just just stay and be good. Um, yeah, it's a bummer that we're not getting him this January. But, yeah, kind of like with what you were talking about with Newcastle, Kelsey have a lot of – we've signed a lot, but just the fact that we didn't even bring in a striker is ridiculous to me. Um, yeah. So it, it's at least good to hear that we're at least ready to prepare or pr um, pay – uh, Ossieman's release clause, but you know it's it's also a soccer rumor. We could end up with a totally different striker in the yeah. summer, or nobody at all. Who knows? That's true. Armando Broja could be your striker come next season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely um, could be. <laughs> Chelsea are also interested in the move for a different striker, that being Aston Villa's. I believe it's Jan Duran. It's J H O N. I don't know how he wants to pronounce it. I just don't want to say Johan Duran because that's a MLB player. Uh, but apparently yeah. Chelsea want this guy before the end of January, 
Yeah, I mean, that's fine. You know, get somebody else in there. Yeah. I'm fine with that. And he's a good striker. He just He's not quite the starter uh, for Villa right now with how they're set up. It's like they're not willing to bench Ollie Watkins for him, and he probably should be. Yeah. Um. Next thing, though, one of my guys that I was talking about that I didn't want is getting oh, some interest because yeah. uh, he is officially available. Manchester United, Arsenal, and Chelsea have been alerted to the availability of Callum Wilson, who's only going to oh. cost him about 18 million pounds. Uh, I think West Ham have uh, showed the most interest uh, thus far, but uh, quite a few teams looking at Callum Wilson for that low price. I would love nothing more for him to be gone. <laughs> and West Ham fans getting Callum Wilson instead of Mikel Antonio, that's such an L. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's hard <laughs> yeah that's how it goes they'll be fine yeah and uh more that's striker great. talk i guess arsenal are ready to spend 50 million euros to sign joshua xerxy from bologna next summer uh but manchester united have also emerged as contenders for him mm. he's been a guy that i've been just like over the last like two months just blown up like, I'm seeing him everywhere. I haven't heard of this guy. He is very good, uh, it, it appears. Interesting. I mean, yeah, 50 million euros and Arsenal and United are at your door, probably. Yeah. It. Yeah, but is, is United willing to spend uh, more money on a young striker from a middle-tier Italian team? <laughs> Two transfer windows in a row. It, <laughs> yeah exactly can they do it to themselves i, I don't yeah this I don't uh joshua xerxes uh in the Serie A, 19 games seven goals two assists yeah very good player 22 years old not bad uh next thing though finally the day has finally come calvin phillips has undergone his medical for west ham i really like that move um yeah it's a, it's a loaded midfield, but there's more opportunity for him there. Agreed. I think. I think West Ham's willing to rotate that squad quite a bit. Um, so Calvin Phillips can actually get in there a few times. Yeah. Maybe maybe if they finally uh, uh, or uh, let Paquetta go, maybe, maybe Calvin Wilson can – I mean, not really fill in a, pa a Paquetta role, but you could work around the midfield to where that role is, you know, or that spot is Calvin Phillips. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Moises Kayan uh, Keen. I don't know how you say it. Uh, he'll be completing his Atletico Madrid physical on Monday. So he is okay, on his solid. way out from Juventus. I can't remember if it's a loan deal or not. Um, I, I think it is. I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to kind of just see him make a move out. Um, I think he needed to. Yeah, maybe not to Aston Villa though. I, I think it's, he it's needs to go to a team that's worse. Oh, yeah, sorry, Atletico Madrid. But, yeah, he. I would like him to go to a team that's worse. Aston Villa would be better. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> for him. Aston Villa's pretty good. But, <laughs> but they could use a striker. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, kind of getting out of the transfer rumors now. Uh, the Dutch Public Prosecution Services demanded an unconditional nine-year prison sentence for Quincy Proms. <laughs> Uh, for his involvement in importing over 1,300 kilos of cocaine. 
Oh man, dude, you're a you're a professional athlete at a high level. You're getting paid. That, and that's ridiculous too. That's not like oh, have a little weed here and there. No, that's uh, I was smuggling cocaine. Yeah, and like you're allowed to have a little weed here and there if you play at fucking Ajax. And then he just left <laughs> yeah. and went to Russia, and nobody's yeah. nobody's gonna get him. It's crazy. Damn, Spetsnaz cracked down on him. Yeah, unbelievable. Not not to get political, but the Russians do like to poison people. Just do it to him. <laughs> Euthanize Quincy Promise. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm just like making it, make his stomach hurt or something. <laughs> make his stomach hurt and refuse him health care. Serve him bad milk. Yeah. You'll, Undercook you'll his food. Uh, but next oh, thing, uh, doubts over Thomas Tuchel are growing internally at Bayern Munich. Um, I don't know how to say this fucking guy's name. I think he's the sporting director. Um, Yuli something. Hoanus? Hounus? I don't know. I know it's that weird B. I think it's pronounced as an S. Um, uh, he's got some doubts, uh, but he wants more stability at the club, doesn't want the coaching chair at Bayern to turn into, as he called it, an ejection seat uh, with another firing, and that's the main reason that Tuchel is still safe for now. So he's keeping his job because Bayern doesn't want it to look like they fire head coaches too quickly, except he's not a good look. doing a bad job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a good look. Yeah, and like, look, I, I they're not that bad. Uh, I, I know that it hasn't been a great season for them, but like, you're second in the table, and you've only lost two matches. It just happens that Bayer Leverkusen hasn't lost a match in any competitions. Yeah, um, and you also had a fantastic Champions League group stage as well, and in a tough yeah. group as yeah. well. Um, yeah, no, I, I've noticed ever since Tuchel took over there that the gap in the Bundesliga has gotten closer with uh, Union Berlin last season um, yeah. and, you know, Bayer Leverkusen this season. Yeah, I will say with Bayer Leverkusen, it does suck that Xabi is certainly going somewhere else after the end of the season. Yeah, he literally just used Leverkusen to build a resume. Yeah, <laughs> that, and it, that was it. it's one hell of a resume, <laughs> especially if yeah. they go undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Undefeated wins oh, the Bundesliga. Oh, my God. It'll be crazy. Yep, and the manager of Chelsea next season. Unbelievable. No. <laughs> I think you're going to have Poch next season still. Yeah, that Javi Alonso would either go to Liverpool or probably Real Madrid. Or yeah, Bayern Munich. He could go to Bayern Munich. That actually sounds pretty perfect. He wins yeah. Bayern Leverkusen Bundesliga and then just jumps ship to the other best team. <laughs> yeah, and then takes some takes Bayern Leverkusen and yeah. just back down. Just destructs what he created. Yeah, that would be <laughs> hilarious. Honestly, he'd probably just take all the good players and just bring them to Bayern. Yeah. That would be pretty fun. Instead of shopping at Dortmund, they'll shop at Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, they'll just be like, okay, uh, I would like Frimpong, Grimaldo. Yeah. <laughs> just go down the list. All those guys. Uh, Boniface, all of you. <laughs> Florian Verts wow. finally will leave Leverkusen. Um, all right, next thing. Jordan Brand are in talks with teams since they're split from PSG, and in particular... Chelsea have been in conversations. 
over a Jordan Oh, interesting. Um, that would be sick. Yeah, Jordan Chelsea kids. Yeah, the, the, the PSG jerseys are awesome that are Jordan. Yeah, they are. I like sick. that. Uh, I like that okay. a lot. And then we're going to go through this list uh, that came out. It's the highest revenue-generating clubs in 2022-2023 season. Um, and then uh, we'll get into questions time after that. So, number one, do you have a guess? Um, Is it Chelsea? It is not. Chelsea is on the list, though. Um, is it a, is it like one of the big normal teams or is it like going to be like a Saudi Arabian team? No, it's a big normal team. Okay. Um, is it city? No city is number two. No. Number one is Real Madrid. Okay. Uh, number three, uh, I'll just give you the easiest hint. Qatari money. PSG. Yes. At eight. 101.8 million euros last season. Mm. And number four is kind of a surprise. I'll just go ahead and say it. It's Barcelona who made 800 million euros last year and are still <laughs> broke as fuck. I don't get where all their money goes. I don't know, man. I mean, like, you know, as a college student, like, I try to, like, stop eating out as much. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Laporta should stop buying, like, I don't even know, like what, like eighteen Bugattis? What? How do you spend that much money? Where does that money go? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely don't know because oh, it's not man. like they've had Putting... like crazy transfers in at all. No, no, they <laughs> they've gotten good players, but they've yeah. all been really affordable. Like they've deals. gotten a lot of guys on freeze. Yeah, like I don't think they paid for Yao Cancelo. I think they got him on a free. SCA was free. I think Gundogan was Two. free. Yep. Um, was Lewandowski free or at least very cheap? He may have been. Fr- I think he was free. Yeah. I think that's another one. And like they've sold off some guys for like not the best, but they've gotten yeah. some money out of transfers out. Like I'm, I don't know where the hell all that money is. Edri is an academy player. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, a bunch yeah, of the guys they... on that and making it into that team right now are Pedri, yeah. Gavi, Lamine Yamal. So many guys on that team right now are academy guys. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know what the deal is. is. Uh, But next, Manchester United, 745.8 million euros. Um, uh, Bayern Munich, just after them, only 1 million less euros. Uh, And then you get a bit of a drop-off down to Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Tottenham, officially the most valuable club in London. That's a that's really a joke. It's not. I, well, yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's a joke. <laughs> it is pretty insane oh, to think that, like, even up at the top of the list, like Real Madrid is pretty fucking close to making a billion euros in a year, in a season. Mm. Like that's crazy. Yeah, and you got to think like of what that new stadium's going to do for him too cuz I'm sure that's why Tottenham is better than Chelsea and Arsenal yeah, as far as London is. goes. Tottenham, yeah. Tottenham by far have the best stadium. Yeah. Brand new stadium. Yeah. Uh Yeah, like like Arsenal like because you can't look at this stuff and base it off of like how good a team really is. 
it's just about like the the ways the teams generate revenue is simply not based on play like the players they have. Obviously, these are all a lot of the top clubs in the team in, in the world. It's because they have you know people funding them extremely highly, but that aids to getting good players. But like, it's not about how good a team plays. Like, just because you finish top four in the prem doesn't mean you're going to make this list. Now, and, and you can even break it down further and go into like what teams play in like the bigger markets. Like yeah. Paris is a massive market, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and Madrid is obviously a massive market. I'm honestly surprised to not see Atletico Madrid on this more uh, on this list. I'm sure they're not too far down the list, but mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid doesn't have like super rich owners. It's just a well-run team, a lot of academy players, a lot of young players they get from other small teams academies that just end up being very good players. Um, yeah. And then, but then like you compare that to Real Madrid where it's like they're bankrolled heavily. They're the dominant team in the market, but they're dominant internationally. That's what all these teams are good at is international dominance. Real Madrid is selling yeah. jerseys in every fucking continent. Same goes for Man City, same goes for PSG and Barcelona and United and Bayern and Liverpool. And, and you know, for Tottenham's sake, they are decently, um, you know, rooted for in America. I think there is like, oh, yeah, when you break sure. it down, like Premier League fandom in America, like obviously the Chelsea's and Arsenal's, Man United, Man City, and Liverpool definitely dominate for sure. Tottenham's very much up there. Um, they have quite a good oh, yeah. following in America. Yeah, big one. And, and I think big time when it comes to why teams' revenues are so high, I think it's because of a, a peak in interest in in soccer from America. It's a huge market for for revenue growth, like for revenue generating. To be a a team that functions in an entirely different continent, to have the American market at your grasp is huge for money. Oh yeah. And I mean, even like some of the major cities in America have like premier league team bars. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to, it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, um, I guess it is questions time and, uh, we got more questions from Nathan. Uh, he is, he's been changing the, um, the language, uh, of the oh, word no. more uh, every single time um, for the last couple of weeks. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was Mucho's questions. Uh, this time it's, I don't know what language this is. I put it into Google Translate. It told me it was Czech. <laughs> uh, so, I think it's Vis, Vis questions. Uh, so, yeah, more questions from Nathan. Let's start with this one. <laughs> Favorite NFL player to watch that doesn't play for your team? This might be the easiest thing ever. Lamar Jackson. For you? Yeah. Um. He's so fun to watch. I would. I would probably go Alvin Kamara. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, Alvin Kamara or uh, probably Tyree Kill. Yeah, not not bad shouts at all. Um, yeah. Okay, this one's this one's interesting. What NFL team has the best or most unique playbook? So just watching their offense, um, who do you think does it 
most unique? That's a good question. Um, I would I would go Baltimore's offense. They they run yeah. that pistol formation unlike anything I, I have ever yeah. seen in the NFL before, and it's like it, it's just with Lamar's ability to throw, run, and yeah. when you don't even line up with a fullback, when you throw another running back out there, it just becomes kind of unfair. Yeah, I, I'm you know I'm pretty pretty in on the 49ers offense. I just it, it it just is pulled off so flawlessly that like because yeah. like the it's like a weird mixture of like a spread and a little bit west coast but primarily spread offense and Shanahan is so inventive like even when it's not just the offense the the fucking trick plays Mitch Wisnowski just does whatever the fuck he wants and he's the punter yeah <laughs> <laughs> like they just do shit differently yeah. um. And it makes it super fun to watch, but I do love your take for the Ravens because Todd Munkin's done crazy things to that offense this year. But he's also been able to keep the the good parts yeah, from previous offenses sure. as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what's the best running back duo this season? I think there's an easy choice, personally. I, I think we actually – I may have already asked you this question before in, uh, in our questions time when we made the questions. Um Probably the Lions one. Yep. It's definitely <laughs> David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, you know, with it, I, I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, but with it becoming the new, like, kind of meta, there are yeah. some really good ones out there. Like, Najee and Jalen Warren at the end of the season say, were awesome. Yeah. Bijan and Tyler Algier were pretty consistent, I yeah. would say, all throughout their season. Um, yeah, those are just a couple that come to mind, but there's a couple. Yeah, there is a few. I, I think... I think for David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, it's one of the few where it's like veteran and rookie. Like David Montgomery's been around That's for a quite good. a while now. Um, yeah. But Jameer Gibbs is a rookie. A lot of times you see it more like Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. One guy had a really good season. Another guy, you know, kind of just been an average guy leading up to it. And then you put these guys – together in that backfield and, bo- and give both of them the opportunities to excel and all of a sudden they're both good running backs whereas Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery Dave Montgomery got rejected by multiple teams you know over his yeah. the course of his career now he ends up with the Lions and it was kind of just like a you know pick him up because he's a pretty good running back but he never really now lives up the to the potential yeah now they're in the conference championship yeah. they have Jameer Gibbs on this team now who's been amazing like that's how you do it. And I, I I will say the Steelers did it a similar way. Najee Harris, young, Jalen Warren, pretty young as well. But, like, when Najee Harris came in, who was the other running back on that team? Uh, Benny Snell? Yeah. Yeah, out of uh, Kentucky. Like, that's yes, <laughs> that's not much competition. Let's see. Uh, if you're, Are you done with that answer? Yeah. yeah. What do you, who do you think is the best running back duo of all time? Okay, there's a lot of them that I can't speak to just because I never watched them. Uh, if I'm going through like my favorites, I loved Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman uh, for the Falcons. Oh, that I didn't even think about that one, but duo. that one, yeah. Also, um, honestly, last year Tony Pollard and Zeke were very good. Yeah, I was gonna say um, Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt. Yeah, that was Solid. a very good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Trying to think of any more. There was 
yeah, there was a year where James White and Jay Ajayi, I believe, were the running back. Or no, not Jay Ajayi. Who the fuck was it? Running back for the Patriots. Was, was it James Rex White? Burkhead? No. Is that who you're thinking of? The white guy? Sonny Michelle? No. Played with James White? Before Sonny Michelle. Hmm. It might have been Jay Ajayi. I know he was on the Patriots at some point. But I, I Jay Ajayi was on the Patriots? I don't I think, think Jay so. Ajayi. Jay Ajayi played for the Dolphins and Eagles. I don't think he ever played for the Patriots. Okay. I don't know who I'm thinking of. He was like a he was like a definitely like a power running back. I can't think of who it is. Oh, was it LeGarrette Blunt? Yes. It was LeGarrette Blunt and James White. Yeah. So the only reason I knew that is because uh, Le- uh, Le'Veon Bell and LeGarrette Blunt had a good duo um, in Le'Veon Bell's like first years in the league. Mm. Um, but then and then and then LeGarrette Blunt introduced Le'Veon Bell to weed, and we lost him forever. That, yeah. That's really how that story went. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anything oh, else man. for this topic? No, we can move on. Sorry. All right. Uh, who's winning the home Long run time. derby next season? Um. Wow, that's such a good question. It's so difficult. I, <laughs> it is know. difficult. Um, there are so many guys I could think of. Yeah, I, I would really like to see Aaron Judge win multiple, but I don't know if it'll be next season. Fair. Do, you, do you have an answer? Um, not not particularly. No. Uh, I'm trying to think of like some sleepers. Miguel Sano. <laughs> Um, not Miguel Sano. Yeah, obviously Pete Alonso probably be there. Vlad probably be there. No way, that's the first name that came out of your mouth was Pete Alonso. Well, I'm just thinking of home run derbies, and that's all he's good at. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, let's see. You think Shohei will do it this year again? He did it, I think, two years ago. He wasn't very good. He at probably it. should. He wasn't very good at it. That's the funny thing. Yeah. I think he should do it. Yeah. What about Matt Olson? New team. I don't think he'd do it, but. Ooh, Matt Olson is a shout. I would like to see him in it. I would really like to see him. What about like, you think Tatis would ever do it? I think he has done it before. I don't remember him in a home run derby. I feel like it was like 2019. Maybe. I don't know. You know what? Final answer, Julio Rodriguez. Fair enough. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh oh no, Tatis wasn't in that one. That was Matt Chapman, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bregman, Jock Peterson, Josh Bell, Ronald Acuna, Pete Alonso, and Carlos Santana. That's mm. Carlos Santana is a weird one. <laughs> Yeah. Very weird. Um, all right. Next question. What player in the MLB will have his Tim Anderson year where he has only talked about negatively for the first time in his career? That is a really good yeah, question. I like this one. Uh and I actually have a pretty good answer to this. Please. And I, I think it works with the dynamic. I'm actually gonna go Juan Soto. Interesting. I, and that's I, I think, think that's fully based be, off New York media, though. It is. 
Um, but like nobody had a good thing to say about Tim Anderson this season. I think Juan Soto will always have the redeeming feature in that he gets on base. Yeah, but like, what if he's a gigantic douchebag? Nah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he is. In pinstripes, I mean, who knows? Um, trying to think, think of another guy. Of guys, I think are gonna come. Ozzy Albies. Hey, fuck you. I'm just kidding. He gets so disrespect. <laughs> I know you're just kidding. He gets so fucking disrespected yeah. by like the national media. How the fuck? Oh, I, I picked him because I think he's the nicest guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but like, just as a joke. How the fuck did he not make MLB Network's top 10 second baseman in the league right now? Oh, probably because there were too many Braves and they just went for him. It's crazy. I, I don't know. He definitely should have been. Yeah, it's um, insane. Uh, I, I'm going to go with. Know, who uh, do you think? I'm going to go with Matt Chapman. I think he's going to f- sign somewhere and just kind of fall off a little bit this year. And people are going to talk about him negatively, like yeah. as in bad. Yeah, if he does, if he does poorly, I think he's going to have a poor season. Yeah. Um. No, I, I'm still going to go Juan Soto. I think it'll be just a media thing. Fair enough. All right. Final yeah. thing. What would you want as the first three in your order? In their prime. Team A: mm-hmm. Jimmy Rollins, Ronald Acuna, and Robinson Cano. Or Team B, Michael Bourne, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto. I'm definitely going Team B. Michael Bourne was fucking I'm sick. So I glad. Love okay. I Bourne. was I was hoping that I wouldn't have to like talk to you about how cool and good Michael Bourne was. He no, was so dude. fucking good. I remember watching him, him in Atlanta. He was sick. He only played one year in yeah. Atlanta, and I vividly remember it. <laughs> wow he was awesome stolen base guy through and through um which is just the best if you're a stolen base guy um you you're like the coolest dude out there <laughs> yeah I think, like if you're if that's what you Every specialize time. in <laughs> it's awesome he was an all-star yeah. of the braves in 2012 why did he only spend one year there if he was an all-star uh, I think Cleveland like forked over some money. Well, because he was technically for a year and a half, um, and then I think he came back in like 2015. He got traded back to us from Cleveland. No fucking way. His career batting average is 266. Oh yeah, no, not a good batting average for Michael. Well, no, that was better than I expected. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I want to look at some other Michael. Well, his stats here. aren't good. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and preface with that. An OPS of 687 is fucking horrible. <laughs> but he also just didn't really get extra base hits like it, for a lot of his career. Like he was capping out at like 25 doubles and, you know, he'd, he'd grab a couple of triples here and there, but like no home runs really at all. He hit 36 home runs in 11 years in the league. Jesus Christ, 61 stolen bases, two separate occasions yeah. with two different teams. Yeah. He had 52 um, as well. I don't. Maybe this isn't that surprising, but I feel like in, in 2012 with the Braves, a 391 slugging is kind of ridiculous for a player like Michael Bourne. It's kind of incredible. Uh, It's not great. But yeah, like for his kind of play, yeah, it was pretty good. I think a lot of that uh, 
it was his most home runs in a season <laughs> with nine. Yeah, um, probably. And he had ten triples, which you don't see all too often. Wow. But yeah, was that our last question? Awesome. Uh, it was our last question. I, I, I don't know if I'd Damn. go with Team B though. Michael Bourne's sick, but he doesn't get on base enough. Um, whereas Jimmy Rollins was pretty pretty solid at getting on base at the leadoff spot. And like, imagine Acuna is already good enough as a leadoff. If he had Jimmy Rollins getting on base every single fucking time, and then you have Acuna coming up after him, and then if Acuna doesn't hit a home run, Robinson Cano hits a home run. Like that, that's a, a dream setup. As much as I hate Jimmy Rollins yeah. and Robinson Cano, considering Jimmy Rollins played for the Phillies and Robinson Cano played for the Mets and Yankees, um, I would love those three. Also, I I don't know how Nathan picked these players, but I have a reason to hate all of them except Ronald Acuna and Michael Bourne. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I think I'd go Team A, though. I, I like that tactically. Entertainment-wise, I'm going Team B, but tactically, I'm going yeah. Team A. That's fair. All right. Well, I think that concludes this episode of Second and Short. But... There's one more thing, and it's that you need to be liking, subscribing, commenting on YouTube, uh, turning on notifications, and then on the podcast platforms, you need to be rating five stars and following us there as well. Then go to the link tree. It, Luke just bailed on me. That's crazy. Wild. Wow. Crazy. Well, um, well, you see me twice at the moment. I guess I'll just... There he is. He's, he's back. My bad. What the hell, Luke? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> I thought you just bailed on I'm me because so I told you to follow him. <laughs> Mid outro. Uh, nonetheless, oh, back to what I was sorry, saying. Um, uh, God, it really threw me off guard. Uh, back to what I was saying. You need to be following, subscribing. You go to the link tree. You follow us on all the social media accounts. And, um, yeah, I think that's really. Oh, join the Reddit, two and D, A and D, short, mm. um, and uh, submit your questions before, like I don't know, three o'clock on Thursdays, uh, which is you know a little bit before we record. So um, yeah, make sure you guys have those questions submitted on Reddit. Make sure you're following and all that stuff. And Luke, anything else for the people? No, man. I think uh, I'm ready to get out of here. Uh, enjoying, gonna enjoy the championship games for sure. Yep. And uh, excited for the FA Cup. Really good fixtures. All really, right. really good fixtures. Well, you heard the man. Enjoy your weekend. And um, we'll catch you guys next week. And I'll be back with Colin, hopefully in person, on Monday. Peace.